Welcome to this episode of the Going Off Topic Podcast, where two critics who have all the wrong opinions. That's right. We're about as authentic as a game of Red Rover with social distancing rules intact. <laughs> mm. too, too, too real, man. <laughs> I'm Brandon. And I'm Chris. <laughs> and we are Going Off Topic. And welcome, everybody. Welcome, listeners, to a new episode of Going Off Topic, episode 41. Not 40 and a half or 40. We're going full 41 here. And uh, still social distancing. So, and we're taking it to the extreme this time, actually, more than usual. Wouldn't you say, Chris? Uh, Yeah, Brandon, totally. But why don't you go ahead and tell them? uh, I mean, I know what we're talking about, but, you know, you should tell the listeners Mm -hmm. so that they know. Yeah, good. Good, 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 good point. You know, because like we we don't want to confuse anybody. You know, we don't make make people think like, wait, what kind of podcast is this where they just don't tell us anything? You know, that, that doesn't make sense. Yeah, <laughs> but we have um, our good friend Talon Rudell coming in all the way from Los Angeles, California, West Coast. How's it going? Yeah, it's, it's going well. Yeah, all the way on the West Coast. It's nice and sunny out my window. I can see all the construction still going on and beautiful weather, so, and it's not cold and snowy at all. Yeah. Yeah. So this is snowing. this. Yeah, this is kind of like a time traveling. Our first time traveler. Well, okay, no, we <laughs> we've had other time traveling episodes. So basically, we can tell you it's eight, like eight forty out where we are right now. Uh, it's getting pretty yeah. dark. Uh, so Talon, watch out for that. Uh, it's going to get dark. Um, yeah. I, other oh, than that, that's a good warning. I, I needed that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, in the times that we're living in, I can use all of the foreshadowing I can get. Hmm. Perfect. Yeah. As much of a warning as possible. Please tell me everything because I still have no idea what's going on. <laughs> Sorry. Unfortunately, Brandon, uh, the time travel does not work with us. We are in the same boat together. Ah, fantastic. Well, I guess we're screwed then, aren't we, Chris? You're going to have to rely on uh, the old fortune teller lady under the bridge. Hmm. Well, I have She's to, got like, great rates. She's got great rates these days. You just got to, you know, well, keep your distance. Well the, well, the thing is, last time it's I talked to her- It's made palm reading very awkward, but, you know, she's found a way. <laughs> well, like, last time I talked to her, she was asking me for my voice, and, you know, I've seen Little Mermaid. I know not oh, to trust yeah, that. Oh, yeah, no, so. no, no, yeah, yeah. You don't want to go with the, the Ursula uh, fortune tellers. They <laughs> they usually cut a bad deal. They're, they're, you got to read the fine print with Ursula's. Exactly, exactly. Um, but- so Talon's actually been a good old friend of ours for a long time. We went to the same school together at Grand Valley State University. Uh, Go Lakers. A little bit of hype there. <laughs> Anchor up. And we all went to film school together. And uh, all in our own ways, we are still doing our part in the whole entertainment industry, I guess you can say. Um, but Talon has a really awesome place that he works at. So uh, why don't you go ahead and tell us uh, what you do? <laughs> Yeah, so I graduated a little bit after you guys, and then basically two weeks after I graduated, I kind of just packed up a minivan and drove across the country to Los Angeles for an unpaid internship, had no idea what I was doing, and then somehow stumbled my way into working for FX Networks. I work in the marketing department and more of the technical side, where I sort of support all of the promotion editors, so people that make like, next week on American Horror Story, like I kind of do the editorial assistant work for them more oh, yeah. or less. So it's, it's a really cool job. And I really, and I'm also very fortunate that like, even with this like crazy situation we're in, I'm actually still employed and working from home to the best of my ability and 
yeah, I, I enjoy the people I work with and it's a good, it's a good spot. Yeah. It, it That's definitely awesome. is. Um, and I, I still want to thank you for, um, like two years ago when, when you gave me like a little tour around the place too. That was like so cool just seeing that in person, you know? Um, yeah, the Fox lot is amazing. It's like, even really when, well, when I did go to work and not work from home, I would still get like <laughs> goosebumps because uh, I, I longboard skateboard to the lot uh, when I go and I like I go under the Fox Studio sign and it's like wow this is I'm I'm here this is where they filmed Cleopatra this is where they filmed Hello Dolly and parts of Sound of Music and mm-hmm. like there's the Star Wars mural there's this there's that oh, yeah. it's like this beautiful, beautiful really cool thing yeah history yeah, when, when does like that actually set in the reality of that i mean is there a point where it ever sets in and you're just like oh I don't god know. it's just another I, I don't know do you want like, to? I talk to people <laughs> i don't want it to no i talk exactly. to people that have been here for at least 15 years and they 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 uh still say that they have that feeling of wonder and am- amazement like wow. it, it doesn't go away hopefully it, it doesn't go away yeah, it's it's like magic, and it was so cool because, like, I mean, Talon, you saw me kind of freaking out about this, but I remember we were walking past, and if anybody knows me personally, I'm a huge Simpsons fan, and we oh, walked yeah. past the writers' building. I was like freaking out. Like, I don't really freak out with like you know, like celebrities or whatever, but like just walking past, you know, James L. Brooks's like parking like spot where he like yep. it was like what like oh, you got so- sweaty. I got sweaty. I did, <laughs> but uh, yeah, it was just. I mean, dude, you got like an awesome work environment that you work in. Like, I'm just totally, totally jealous. And it's just cool to see that you know you're that you you actually love working there. You want to work there. You know, it's just yeah. awesome to see that. Yeah, it's great. It's also good because it's not the kind of job where it prevents me from doing the things on the side that I love doing as well, which is like filmmaking, writing, all the other stuff. But it's also a job that you know allows me to live in LA and pays me enough to living out well pays me sort of enough to live in, <laughs> to LA. Live in LA. Well, yeah <laughs> LA is expensive so like nothing's really ever enough when you're here so like that, that that's the caveat not that they don't pay me enough it's just like it's expensive here <laughs> yeah it, it, just just a bit especially with all taxes and you know rent and all, all that what's, what's the going rate for uh bananas out in LA about ten dollars <laughs> uh I'd say 12 <laughs> oh yeah mm, that's by mornings right. uh <laughs> yeah, I don't know how I'd survive with twelve dollar bananas. And if you want your avocado toast, just forget about oh, it. Let me oh, guess. Oh man, like 30 you hear that, millennials? <laughs> hear that, millennials? Yeah, hear that, is millennials that the and the people strategy? that can't save money. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah. Is that the new marketing strategy from California? You know how they have the like commercials is like, "Come to California, I'm the governor." But but like, has it changed where it's like, "Please don't come to California. We're all out of avocados and toast." Stay far away from this place. Is it like a new marketing campaign to get people to not come? Well, no, they're already doing that a little bit with the social distancing. Yeah, I was just about to can't say really, really they're go doing pretty well right now. <laughs> Talon and I were talking about this a little bit before the recording, but you know, a lot of people right now, well, really everybody is, you know, quarantining themselves or they should be. Um, and you know, we're all staying in our homes, and you're thinking like, oh. You know, I wonder what places, you know, like where I don't live, you know, how much different really is it, you know, comparatively? I mean, obviously in some spots, you know, in the United States, at least, you know, it's a little bit more intense in some places. And, you know, but yeah. I, I was kind of wondering, like on your side in L.A., like, you know, what's it like over there? You know, like with everyone quarantining or, you know, just everyone social distancing as best as possible, I guess. Honestly, it's a uh, like a mixed bag uh, because... I've been 
a week before the actual official stay-at-home order, I was already working from home because oh, it was really? getting very serious. Yeah. And so a week before the official stay-at-home order. So I've been working from home for over a month now. Oh, wow. And uh, it's very strange. My room has become a completely different space in my own mental, like, a mind castle, oh, yeah. whatever. You, it, it doesn't even feel like the same place anymore. It feels like the office. Yeah. Sleeping Seriously. is difficult. Uh, <laughs> but no, it's, it's, it's a mixed bag because, of, like, uh, like everywhere – nothing is being done um 100% perfectly and that's not right. to blame the people in charge that's just this is an unprecedented situation so like uh, for example they do the stay home order they say it's going to end on April 15th and then they extend it that's fine yeah. and eventually they require masks where originally they didn't require masks so now you have mm-hmm. to wear one if you go into any like private business they closed all the stores like they do everywhere else and for yeah. a while like most other places people weren't taking it seriously like i'd go to the grocery store and people like literally bump into me trying to steal the quinoa that i was buying or whatever i was getting i don't know oh, right man. and like the quinoa. yeah that those those millennials man and their quinoa <laughs> as i say as a damn it's hard out gen zer on the of cusp of both of them that's who we but are but yeah so it's not much different like when i because i'm still friends with so many people from from michigan like this most of the people i still talk to Hey-o. so like i hear uh all the stuff that's going on there and it's not too much different really Maybe it's yeah. different in like Washington where or like where this like really started, like in Seattle, but I don't see it right. being that much different. Yeah. When all this is when all of this is done and things are back to uh, like kind of a normal everyday life, I would really love to get the stats on like breaking down state by state. What was the most hoarded item? If you get rid of like the, the necessities like toilet paper. That doesn't count. Toilet stuff. paper does not count. Yeah. Because like that's you don't like, count any of that stuff. What was the next thing that was the most hoarded? That I think could be pretty interesting. Well, because we got quinoa over in California, apparently we got tea over in uh, Britain. So you know what's uh, what's really the Chris? Michigan? Well, thing? Actually, <laughs> no, no, no I seriously, saw, I actually saw there was a BBC article about that. How tea yeah. was like once they like did the lockdown, tea was gone in all the stores. It was. Oh no! I was like, really? Yeah. Oh. So uh, here, it's not just that. Like I'm like in Michigan, it's it's bread, it's uh, eggs, oh, also it's uh, like rice and pastas are all yeah. gone all the time. Yeah. Same. Like definitely the. Uh, bread was a huge thing like i was so lucky enough to like find like you know like any kind of bread because like you know i have like like a specific like low calorie um wheat bread that i have and you know obviously like you know if i can't find it fine i'll i'll just stick with any bread for the time being i'm I'm fine with that but like i remember one time i was grocery shopping during stay at home and i remember i saw like my bread i literally darted right down the aisle just to get it because i was so happy i'm like my bread (laughs) (laughs) that's hilarious i know but you know, obviously, you know, with the conditions, I'm definitely flexible for anything. Honestly, so like, I'm I'm not too fessed up about. It. But seeing my bread that I usually have during normalcy made me happy. <laughs> my version of that was I, I normally don't eat a lot of snack food, but then right when this started, I had a really bad craving for like Oreos, like double yeah. stuffed, oh, the pinnacle oh. of Oreos. And you know yeah. what? There wasn't a single Oreo, not even the thins. Not even the thins oh, or the mega man? stuff, which no one likes. Oh. I had to get Kroger People brand Oreos, the which they're fine. I just like was so surprised that that's something that everyone else wanted on, during quarantine. I, yeah. I, it blew my mind. So yeah, I had the Kro- same experience. I like ran for the Kroger brand Oreos. <laughs> Krogerios. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it's amazing because uh, uh, I'm kind of the same way. Uh, and I definitely noticed that with Oreos, too. I was like, man, I'm feeling some Oreos now, too. But, you know, sure enough, no Oreos. So 
I guess yeah. the other thing I've noticed about Oreos is you can go most of your like regular day to day life not craving Oreos, but mm-hmm. then you can get hit with a I need Oreos and I need them right freaking now. <laughs> I will take Oreos over Chips Ahoy any day of the week. Like there's no doubt about that. Like because like with Chips Ahoy they just crumble in your hands as soon as you pick it up. But like Oreos like. They're just something like so addicting to about them. They're honestly like crack, to be honest. Like it's just like I can't stop eating them if I have a like not well, it's not really a box. Like what would you call that like like storage container of Oreos, I guess? Like a sheet. I don't know. Sheet of Oreos. There we go. Yeah. <laughs> do you dunk it in milk? Uh yeah, I actually do. Yeah. I I wait till they get soggy and then they're perfect. They get soggy where they're just about to fall into the milk. And then you eat it, and it's like mm. a soggy, milky Oreo goodness. So, like, you see, no one eats Oreos the same way, like at all. I, I like it similar <laughs> to that, but there still has to be some level of crunch left, or else it's yes. ruined. And then I'll just like <laughs> yeah. spit it out. I agree with that. I'll be like, oh, there's no crunch. <laughs> all right, soggy so, like, all the way. There's people out there who eat Oreos specifically, where they like they remove the top and bottom, and you know whatever side of the Oreo has the frosting stick to it. You know, you start licking it or whatever. Like to be honest. I have never met anybody who's eaten Oreo cookie like that, ever. Like I've, I've done it only, once or twice, but it's not like the standard way that I eat them. It's like yeah, you got to be in a mood. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's like it's like how many licks does it take to get in the center of, of a Tootsie Pop? Like you know, you just it's not the same. Like it's gonna take forever for you to lick off that frosting. You're just gonna you might as well just eat the whole thing while you're at it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I got to use my teeth. It's like got to like scrape it off if you're going to do that. See, that's what I do. That's what I do. Like I scrape it off <laughs> my teeth, teeth like a angle, beaver. You get your teeth and you scrape it down like you're scraping ice off the front of your uh, windshield <laughs> on your car. And then you just eat the chewy. <laughs> See, I used to do that. And then I start. I noticed how crooked the two lines were. And it really realized that my <laughs> oh, front no. teeth are oh, terribly no. crooked. And I got very self-conscious. Oh, no. <laughs> You know, like, as we're, like, talking about this, I'm imagining that episode of Spongebob where Spongebob, like, he steals that chocolate bar from Patrick and he starts, like, like using his oh, teeth yeah. to, like, scrape down the yep. chocolate bar. <laughs> like, that's what I do with Oreo frosting. Like, <laughs> I feel like everything always comes back to Spongebob, no matter what conversation. Yes. yes. Anyone in our generation, every conversation ends or begins with Spongebob. How can we it's not really talk true. about Sponge? Like, it, it's so, like... From two, 1999 to like 2004, you have like the complete package of like throwback because there's not one episode where you're thinking like, how could I not reference that like it, with my day to day life because it's so relatable. I don't know how they did it, but they did it. <laughs> but I, I think the one thing to gather like just with like this whole whole quarantine COVID thing is like, you know, we're learning like new information about stuff like you know like what to do and everything and i actually thought this was kind of um important to discuss um so there's the physical activity of like you know that people are allowed to do in like in some states like with michigan you know you're able to you know do at least one physical outdoor activity per day like no more not with a crowd or anything like that you know um but i did read this article on npr recently about runners for instance and you know they're thinking like oh I'm just fine just running out, you know, wherever, you know, whatever. And I'm here to say right now, uh, no, there's a lot more precautions you actually have to take. And apparently you have to do like 12 feet of social distancing if you're running because the way you breathe and exhale, like you are like 
spreading that faster than a normal person breathing or, or coughing, for instance, and you're traveling fast, depending on how fast you're going running. And, um, I don't know. I just felt like I need to like address that. Like if you're going to go out running like outdoors, please go in a spot where it's like not as many people or it's like early enough in the day where like there's not as many people to encounter. So like normal social distancing when it comes to like running or like physical activity, just be aware you might have to take a little bit more precaution. I know I went a little off topic there. Yeah, I know. But you know, I just feel (laughs) like it was something I needed to like address because I just found out about that recently. So I either get a treadmill to running or um, do your best to make sure you're not around people when you are exercising, I guess. so. Burpees. Lots and lots of burpees. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Ugh, don't make me do burpees. Those are the worst. Um, so it, it's just something to to note because and people are thinking like, oh, should I wear a mask You know, while running? Because, yeah, it's going to be a bit difficult to run with a mask on. And my suggestion is... And from what I read from the article is that, you know, you should still wear a mask, but, you know, obviously for like comfort's sake, it's going to get really difficult to run with it on. So that's why like like high altitude training. Yeah. So like run at like inconvenient times or, you know, make sure like, for instance, like if you live in an area where there's a lot of like country road, you know, take me home, whatever. Uh, oh <laughs> um, man, you, you, you took, you took that away from me, Brandon. Of course I did. That's my job. <laughs> I'm able to scope out memes whenever possible. Uh, <laughs> uh, but like, you know, if you like on some sort of like old road, like really open wide, like, you know, run on there because not as many people are probably going to be running or walking around that area. Don't go to a park because there's going to be lots of people there. Especially like on a Saturday afternoon, please do not. <laughs> um, you know, it, it's funny too because like my uh, my I was talking to my mom earlier this week, and she told me that apparently there was this person that was like trying to like physically let people know about social distancing. So he took like I don't know like fishing poles or like sh- like sticks and attached bells to where it would fit like six foot radius like around him. So basically, he was wearing like a a bell dome in a sense to where like if people touch the bell that was like in his six foot radius. So this man will walk out every single day with this garment on. And I'm thinking like, maybe we should have that just because it's the safest way to identify social distancing. <laughs> yeah. I saw the same thing with a guy who had pool noodles on the top of his head. <laughs> I mean, it is kind of genius if you think about it and like, you know, it's, it, it doesn't require anything too expensive either. It's literally just backyard stuff to like, you know, to basically identify it, you know. I think burpees are the only workout that I actually feel sick when I think about it. Like just <laughs> thinking about it makes me sick. Sick. <laughs> it's gross. It's a gross workout. Does it make you want to burp? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Like I see them, I see them doing it in Spartan races all the time, where Spartan they do Spartan races. Yeah, Spartan races. Have you when? seen it? It's like obstacle courses for fit people. Okay, so it's I, like a Chuck E. Cheese playscape, but for adults that are in the wilderness. That's like a Spartan race. There, there's a lot more. To more an extreme, to though. To an extreme. Like, yes. Oh, yeah. The punishment I, if you fail something is burpees. That's the gist. They punish people with burpees in an athletic setting. They're like, how can we make this worse? We make them do burpees. That sounds horrible. <laughs> yeah, so don't miss any Spartan races. They're a lot of fun to watch. <laughs> um, 
Actually, Todd, I was going to actually ask you a question. Um, so you said you're uh, working from home right now, and you know you said your bedroom feels like more like your office. Um, do you actually have a workspace you have specifically for work rather than like the whole area being your workspace, like like a desk or you know something to like you know have an area where you can like section yourself off to where it's separate, but also in the same room in a sense. I've thought of trying to do that. I just have my one desk. Uh, that's across from my bed. So not really. And that's where I'm sitting right now is at my desk with a mic like on a C stand. Right. <laughs> so like even right now, I feel like I'm at work, but I'm talking to you. So it's much better. Oh, well, thank you. <laughs> but I, I've heard from some people that like that actually does improve like your surroundings in a sense to where like, you know, you can focus more on work when you're in that area specifically. If you like somehow like, close it off from like it obviously some people's living spaces are limited in a way so like you know um like some sort of like visual cue that like hey this is like a workspace area only or something like that like apparently like you would have a better time sleeping or you have a better time of leisure of leisure when you do have it in a sense instead of being like oh i'm still in the same spot like you know the, for the past 24 hours i feel weird you know um yeah so like, you know, that's probably why my bed means nothing to me now. I, I'm with you, Talon. I'm at the point where I'm having trouble sleeping just because it's like I'm just in this room all the time. So it's like, you know, I so basically I got myself a weighted blanket and we'll see how that works out. Oh, you have a weighted blanket? Uh, I don't have it yet. Oh, place the order. And then it's got it. Yeah, I got to wait for it to come. And uh, then I'll have it in like a quarantine zone for like a couple days and then I'll get to try it out. Hmm. That does sound pretty hmm. cool. You have to let me know how that turns out because, you know, I've always been curious about weighted blankets to see if it actually does work or not. I hear good things about it. All right. Might have to yeah, check going, it out. Like going, back to, uh, going back to the desk thing, uh, uh, like for a while, that's what I was trying to do. Like before yeah. all of this, I had my desk and I didn't do anything at my desk that was, you know, not related to like me doing my personal work, like writing or reading or whatever. Yeah. But then this quarantine thing, it's like, well, I have nowhere else to set a second computer so if I want right. to get work done, I have to do it at my desk. I can't go downstairs because my roommate's going to be going in and out all the time. Right. So, hmm. yeah, that does make things a little bit difficult. But you know, if you're able to like jerry rig some method to like you know have it in like that kind of space, you know, it it, it could help. But you know, obviously, you you know your space more than I do. You like you know, so <laughs> I'll get I'll make the silent Draper runners from Twin Peaks. Hang them Ooh. around <laughs> my desk. <laughs> And then I'll uh, then I'll devise a button that opens and closes these silent Draper runners. And so when they're closed, I am at work. And when they are open, it is time to party. I am Perfect. the Great Wizard of Oz. Pay no attention to that man in the curtain. <laughs> <laughs> I will literally be Nadine. I just need an eye patch. Yes. <laughs> oh man, that was good. Um, you know what? Actually, why don't we go ahead and get into our holiday of the day today? Like, you know, it, it's been a while since we've done this, Chris. It's I been mean, a while. It's been a while. It's been a while since that, too. Um, it's been a so, while since it's been a while. <laughs> so, guys, do I really have to say what today is? Because um, I think everybody knows what today is. Uh, yeah, I, I totally know what today is. But, like, you know, just for the people who don't know, you should, like, mm -hmm. you know, totally tell them. Uh, yeah, but I, I know I, exactly what day you're talking about. Uh, Talon, you know yeah. what day, right? I totally know what day. Yeah, so like, <laughs> you know, but for the listeners, you should totally tell what what's the day. 
it's a pretty lit day if you ask me uh <laughs> um yeah so it's april 20th um the most famous holiday would be well national look-alike day of course <laughs> of course that's what everybody thinks about with 420 national look-alike day yes exactly <laughs> but no that that is an actual holiday i will be talking about but yes 420 yes we know you guys know your grandparents know we want everybody know. to be very mature about this so i don't want to hear any snickering any <laughs> laughing <laughs> let's all be let's all be serious this is a serious podcast, scientific yes. serious podcast. Science. Exactly. We have analysis. We Shifts have research. glasses up on his eyes. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, he probably did do that while he said it. <laughs> <laughs> That's the benefit of having glasses is you can do that all the time. Doink. You can also tilt them down when you're trying to be real, real serious. Oh, oh yeah. Oh. I do. I, when when I'm getting real serious and uh, when I'm basically, you know, uh, uh, on a date, you know, if it's time to, you know, you drop the glasses a little bit like, uh-huh, you know, and you just like kinda, you, you give a wink, a blurry wink because you can't see them. Like you drop right. the glasses down, you do a wink, but you're just hoping you're winking at their general form. You can't tell because your glasses are down. <laughs> but so, yeah, that's how my dating life's going. <laughs> um, you know, what's funny how you said, like, you know, tilting downward, like the glass, like you look at your glasses and you tilt your head down. Um, I, anytime I see anybody do that, I always immediately think of my seventh grade, um, history teacher. And we, she looked like a vulture dude when she did that. Like, it was like, whenever, like, you know, she like surveyed the class, she just tilt her head down, have her eyes look up and she just like scope horizontally turn, like twisting her head like looking across the whole classroom. It was absolutely terrifying. And I'm like, just picturing, I'm just picturing the teacher from Jimmy Neutron now with red hair. You kind of got it, man. Like it, it's pretty <laughs> darn accurate. And you know, Jimmy. <laughs> well, what was her name again? I can't even remember. Talon, do you remember? I don't, I can't remember that at all. Uh, it's like miss. V- I, I don't know, but like, yeah, yeah, we're on the right track. Miss something. <laughs> There's definitely a miss in there somewhere. Misses. <laughs> <laughs> you sure? Oh man. <laughs> but like, yeah. So, uh, wait, what's this have to do about weed? <laughs> <laughs> I think we were just we just sold ourselves on that right there. <laughs> a, yes. A meaningless tangent about Jimmy Neutron's teacher. <laughs> <laughs> Oh man! Uh, but yeah, actually, there is a holiday. It's National Lookalike Day. Um, it's mostly for narcissistic people who like to compare themselves to famous p- celebrities. So there's that. Uh, <laughs> they're to their uh, famous doppelgangers, where you know you meet a, you meet them like in some grocery store, and you're like, "Oh my gosh, you look like uh, Josh Brolin," or y- "You look, you just look like." Uh, 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 Sarah Jessica Parker. I don't know. I was just thinking of people on the fly. Give me, give me some slack here, guys. I'm in quarantine. Uh, Miss right Foul. Her name was Miss Foul. Miss Foul. Yes. Yeah, it, That's her, what it was. Yes, that makes is, sense because she sounds like a bird. Yeah, exactly. It's it's spelled <laughs> F-O-W-L too. And her first oh, name, wow. uh, for those for those who want to like, do this for trivia, uh, is Winifred. So it's Winifred Foul. Winifred Foul. Yeah. Oh, man, that's perfect. Such a good name. Man, I bet the writers I actually have access. Screenwriting 101, just beautiful. 
See, this is cool. I actually have access to a computer. Usually when we record, I don't have access to a computer. But now since I'm doing Chris, it on my computer, you I have can your Google phone. Things. That is a computer. Yeah. yeah, but that's not as fun. But, uh, all right. I'll just let you can't, you can't feel the tactile clackety clack clack when you type. That's true. Oh, I, I mean, gosh, I could yeah. add that in there. I could add that in there. So, oh, yeah. oh wait, I'm giving away my secrets. <gasps> oh, I mean, yeah, that, that, yeah, totally. The clickety clack, Chris. Yeah. Shut I off. love the clickety clack. Clickety yeah. clack is so satisfying that they should have a Spotify playlist of only clickety clacks that I can sleep to when I go to bed. Do you have the sleep timer or do you let it go on for seven, eight hours? Oh, I go until my earbuds fall out of my ears as I'm sleeping. <laughs> Um, and then I wake up and see my phone is at 3%. Ah, classic. Yeah. And then you're like, oh, wait, I have to go to work. <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> With okay. 3% but, battery. Uh, but uh, to get back on topic, uh, what, what was all this about uh, looking like someone or something? Yeah, National Lookalike Day, you know. And oh, yeah, that thing. Yeah. Uh, but the cool, the funny thing is, is that, you know, people like to compare themselves to, like, you know, famous people. Like, oh, you know, I look like so-and-so. But usually they're the exact opposite in personality of the doppelganger. Basically, you know, they're never like, Oh, you look like Ray Romano, but like, you're the most like optimistic, you know, bubbly personality ever, or, you know, compared to like Ray Romano is, you know, well, I mean, I, I don't know who he is exactly. Cause I never met him in person or, or anything like that, but I assume he plays himself usually when he's on, you know, everybody loves Raymond or ice age or, or any other show that he's, you know, done the like for FX or anything like that. So come as a psyker guys. <laughs> um but yeah so, so you mean like 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 it's like oh you look like tom hanks just not nearly as likable and approachable yeah exactly exactly um have you guys actually been uh called out on a lookalike like oh town you look like so-and-so or chris you look like uh somebody you know whatever go ahead town <laughs> i like i don't know when i was younger i got like some people saying it but i don't i never believed them at all it was just like oh yeah like we would talk about lookalikes and then all of a sudden someone would be like oh talent you kind of look like a or b or c but yeah I, none of them were like anything accurate like i got taylor lautner when i was in like middle school and i was really? like what are you talking not about? a bad one to get <laughs> it was during shark boy and lava girl times so he was oh, that's like, like more of like moment <laughs> yeah <laughs> so that was a time where it was like, no, no, I don't. I don't look like him. Stop. Stop. <laughs> Kinda. Yeah. <laughs> um, I've actually had people, um, when I used to work at Undisclosed uh, Seafood Restaurant. Uh, you know, oh, whatever, yes. The Undisclosed Seafood Restaurant. Yeah. I've actually I've had people. have really good seafood. Uh, yeah. That's subjective. <laughs> um, I've actually had people, including guests, tell me that I look like the actor Ben Foster. Um, he he's most known for playing in Three Ten to Yuma, but like apparently, like I have like his face similar like facial like like brow kind of like react like similar structure, I guess, and ears. Like you know, at, at first I'm like, what are you talking about? But like actually, like looked at a picture of him on like on Wikipedia just now, and I'm like. Well, I kind of do kind of look like him a little bit, but not really though. But it's, that's like the closest thing I ever had anybody tell me. But someone else did tell me when I was younger, I looked like the small kid from Polar Express. <laughs> <laughs> you know, <laughs> hmm. you know, maybe they're right about that. 
<laughs> I mean, the movie did start in Michigan, technically. So, I mean, so you were just walking by the animator someday and he was like, that's it. That's my inspiration. <laughs> my muse is speaking to me. <laughs> that is him. He is the boy. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> As you're eating some circus peanuts in the backseat of your car. Shut up, Chris. <laughs> it's my shame, but I don't care. <laughs> but I do. <laughs> it hurts my self-esteem. <laughs> but yeah. So wait, I mean, then what does Chris look like? That's the real question. He's the yeah. one that avoided the question. Yeah, quit, oh. quit walking around it, man. Tell us, who, who, do you, oh, who are please. you? Oh, I, please. I, I would never purposefully avoid a question that was difficult to answer or might be embarrassing to answer. Oh, really? Uh, now, so, what that be? Uh, this is a podcast. So, it is not a visual medium. <laughs> so, yeah, if anything, uh, you should be like, what do you sound like? <laughs> uh, Wesley Snipes? No. I'll take the silence as <laughs> a guess. <laughs> you sound like Wesley Snipes. Got it. Hmm. Yeah, that, that'll trick him. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so... Back when I was still on Tinder, uh, so you know that's going to be a start of an interesting story. Uh, <laughs> I, I was talking with a girl, and she said that I looked like Seth MacFarlane's weird-looking cousin. <laughs> <laughs> so, not quite Seth MacFarlane, but a part of his family, but well, the weirder side of the family, apparently. Well, you do like Family Guy a lot, so I guess that's kind I of do. fitting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's so all in the family. I, yeah, so <laughs> exactly. So maybe Seth is like a distant cousin or something. Uh, you never know. I mean, I mean, if you take off the glasses, I mean, you kind of look like him, sort of. I guess I can see that, but that's, yeah, I don't know. It's too weird. I'm squinting because I can't see anything. <laughs> <laughs> he is kind of squinting, does he? <laughs> 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 oh man <laughs> yeah the whole thing with lookalikes though is that i don't know about you guys but whenever like we talk about this sort of topic with like or i talk about it with some friends it you get so many people at least i have like i've gotten like what i say before i don't remember what i said before taylor, taylor lautner, lautner. yeah and yeah taylor lautner and then i one time someone said heath ledger another time someone said the guy from one direction not harry styles the other one one mm-hmm. of the other ones yeah but then like it's because it's just Depends on what fe- facial feature that you're talking about. It's yeah. so subjective, too. Also, facial hair definitely affects your, like, doppelganger, like, comparison, too. Because, like, you know, if you, you have a beard and they don't, it's kind of like, well... It, it's like, for instance, um, you, our good buddy Christian, um, he's compared to Tom Hanks a lot. And I, I can definitely see that in some days, you know. And, you know, if he, like, grows out his beard... Not as much anymore, but when he shaves it, boom. I'm I'm looking at a younger Tom Hanks right there. <laughs> Maybe you know he was what? just I never thought away. about that, but I totally see it. Right? Right? Yeah. <laughs> like that's why he like he posts a bunch of stuff like about Tom Hanks because like he owns up to it. And I'm like, dude, own up to it, man. Like, you know, I'd love to be compared to Tom Hanks. He's like Hollywood's, you know, uh, he's like America's dad. Like <laughs> Yeah, but the dad that everyone actually likes. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> He's not like angry stepdad that everyone is like bitter about. Like, why did you get married into my family? I'm pretty sure that's Steven Seagal. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. That's that's drunk stepdad. I'm I, I my mistake. 
Uh, yeah, to answer the question, I'm sure everybody's thinking, no, it did not work out with that girl. Oh, yeah, that's what I was totally thinking. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, that was mean. <laughs> um, so, yeah, like, it's just a really, once again, really lame social media holiday I found. Uh, there was another one. I was not going to do it, and no, it was not 420. Another it was one. I, no, no, Chris, I'm not doing that. <laughs> Um, but yeah, so enjoy your lit holiday, you know, a oh, lit. That's an interesting, is that a new vocab word you're trying out? Uh, it, I hear it from like the, the, the kids say it nowadays. So I figured I, the I, I try to, the, the youths. Yes. <laughs> uh, um, so I actually want to talk about one more thing before we get into Talon's topic here. And I feel like it's kind of appropriate, especially during these, you know, quarantine social distancing times. And um, but also afterwards, because, you know, we all like food a lot. But I want to talk about lovely leftovers. How's that, Chris? How's that title? Uh, I'm curious to see where this is going. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Um, (laughs) So obviously during the covid quarantine, you know, a lot of us for the most part, are, you know, either making our own food, cooking it, or we're, you know, doing takeout in a sense. And for the most part, not all of us are going to eat our portions. And whatever we have left over, we should at least have it saved for next time for leftovers. And I was kind of wondering, you know, in your guys' opinions, what is kind of like the quintessential best leftover you could easily have especially during a time like this where people are kind of desperate to like you know savor as much food as possible we're always like you know saving a little bit of, bit of money as well there's an obvious answer here i'm oh, just yeah? gonna like not say it and expect you guys to know what i'm talking about and just leave it there hmm yeah of course i mean and i'm right there with you talent but like we shouldn't do that to brandon <laughs> so like fill him in on what you're talking about i'm with you talent i you know i'm with you but oh, brandon, yeah? it's, he just so yeah he needs to hear to set this up to set uh-huh. this up for anyone that like we're gonna like slowly go and expand our audience. So for other yes. people to obviously get this, it's the one thing that every film set always has. <laughs> 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 so Yep, yep. <laughs> so then to expand it to some more people that might start understanding it. Uh, after every film set, every eight year old's birthday party also has this. Yep. <laughs> um every ups. Uh, you're, you're close. Um, every church gathering with over a hundred people. Yep. <laughs> and it, I have had it at least once a week since <laughs> since this COVID nineteen. No, no judgment, man. No judgment. <laughs> and that is, of course, the ultimate hot and ready Little Caesars pizza. Yes. Pizza. <laughs> pizza. 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 I mean, how can you not have pizza as a leftover? Like. It is the best. You can have it hot. You can have it cold if you're insane enough. But, you know. Okay. Okay. Come on. Okay. Cold pizza is the best. I don't know what you're talking about. Okay. Here we go. I knew this was going to happen. I knew this was going to happen. Yeah. Yeah. Why don't you call up some of your your warm pizza boys to back you up like you did in the cake versus pie debate while you're at it? (laughs) It's funny because I've. I listened to all you guys' episodes too, so like I know this cake versus pie debate, and I'm like, great. I, this I, I did not expect this to come up, but seriously. <laughs> oh my gosh! Yes, talent. Thank you. Cold yes, pizza. Thank you. It's like it's so good. 
Well, you know, funny enough, I was, before you mentioned it, I was actually going to talk about how pie was a better leftover than than cake was. So it's funny that you did bring that up. Okay. <laughs> it's not just because I like okay. pie better either, but I'm just saying, who eats leftover cake? Like, it just, I do. It's not Everybody as, does. Who? Cake Everyone is does. great at any time of the day. Any time oh, of its state on. of existence. It's I not as good. There's green fungus on it. The, like the frosting is like deflated and it's like it's cemented. What in are the you cake. talking about? It's no, no, no. Good. When, 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 when you put cake in the refrigerator, this beautiful science happens where the the frosting becomes richer and yes. it becomes a little bit more whoa, whoa, dense. Whoa, whoa. And Hold it's on. like it's not a crunch, but it's like a satisfying mouthfeel. Okay, I know Thank what you're talking you. about, it's but thick. that's not all cakes though. There are a lot of cakes where it's cheaper frosting, and if you put it in the fridge. It is complete trash afterwards. You know what I'm talking about. Like the one frosting that doesn't no have a flavor and they're complete like food dye basically. Yeah, that one. Yeah, the one that stinks when you eat it. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. <laughs> I, don't, I, don't, I don't know what kind of frosting you're eating. What? <laughs> this this, this sounds like a, like a euphemism cake. for something that's not frosting. Uh-huh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying pie is way better because you can warm it up and it like it's just melt good warm goodness that that it's just it just melts in your mouth it's so good like but what about cold pie? Cold pie is good too. Like I'm not dissing on cold pie either. I just like warming it up. But like cold pie is good too. Like get a nice glass of milk and just have it on the side. Boom, you're done. You know you because like why would now, you eat? You know how I know thing, you're though, bad at deserting. Ask. You know how you want to know how I know you're bad at deserting, Brandon? You oh, yeah. like What's that? cold pie. <laughs> <laughs> but here's it's the real a, question: it's a bit of a, thinker, a, it's a bit of a thinker there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> hey, if you're, you're right. such a pie fanatic. Then do you eat cheese on your pie? Because that's the thing in LA that I found out like after I moved here: hmm. cheese on pie. What kind? What kind of cheese? What? That sounds actually uh, kind of good. It depends on. on where you want, where, what you want. Uh, okay. When I when I tried it, because I was curious, I got Swiss on an almond pecan pie. Ooh, <laughs> I'm actually but kind the of most common. In this. But the most common is cheddar on apple. Just so you know. Okay. Oh my Honestly, gosh. I'd be down for that. That actually sounds pretty good. Not even lying here. House like, of Pies. Uh, I think it's tw- I think it's twenty four hour uh, diner. It's in Los ooh. Angeles. If you want to go there, that's. Once oh, all man. this is over, if it's still open, dude, you're tempting me to go back again. Ah, <laughs> yeah, but I mean, you say all this, but let's let's be real. The quarantine version of that is a frozen pie with a craft single slapped on top. <laughs> <laughs> a frozen chocolate pie with a craft single on it. That's- <laughs> Honestly, I would probably still eat it. Not gonna lie. Like, even though it's processed cheese and it's not real cheese, I would still probably eat it because I uh, I love pie so much. <laughs> well, at this point, we're eating whatever's le- like s- the scraping the icicles out of our freezers and like call- putting that as on our food as seasoning. That's yeah. how I feel. <laughs> Sh- shiv- shaved icicles as like a rub, basically. <laughs> yeah, I'm flavoring my eggs with it. It adds a zestiness to it. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> oh man, like but yeah, it's kind of related because pizza's also a pie, but but anyways, um but pizza like I what's mean, great you can Yeah. <laughs> uh, just following up with the ice shavings thing, uh if you go to the grocery store and get some flakes and you drop that on there, you got yourself frosted flakes. 
<laughs> That's good. I, um, I sorry, I, I had to fit that, that one, one in. It came to me late. Sorry. That, anyway, back to pizza. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that was that was actually good. <laughs> um, but like with pizza, like it also depends on like I feel like if there's less toppings on the pizza, it tastes better as a leftover compared to like completely disagree. Like, really? Oh yeah, more toppings the better. See, like I disagree because like if you have more toppings on it, a lot of the toppings become more soggy. So like for instance, if you have like I know not everybody likes black olives and mushrooms, but I- I'm that guy. I know. Ew! But like I know, ugh, I'm a, I'm so disgusting. Oh, <laughs> I like I like warm pizza. I like pie, and I like black olives, and yeah, I'm I'm literally trash. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but you're picking literally the two worst toppings. <laughs> To be cold. No. Okay. Like, okay. No. Like I like those toppings on pizza too. But what I'm saying is, like, if you're gonna like diss to- extra toppings on pizza for leftovers, <laughs> you literally just like shot straight to the bottom. It's like saying sardines are gonna taste bad on leftovers. Of course they are. Yeah. And Brandon, what's your dipping oil? Motor oil? Like, was that your dipping sauce? Is it just like motor oil hey, at this point? Hey. You know what the greatest thing about quarantine life is? I can shut all you haters out and just go right to bed. <laughs> No, please. I don't want breadsticks. Do you have circus peanuts dipped in garlic oil? I'll take that instead. <laughs> oh, this is great. Oh. Anyway, go, go on, Brandon. Defend your point. I'm sorry. I keep interrupting. Uh, yeah, it's it's like when I like have like a weird news article, and you're like, "Oh, why did you do that? Why did you do that? I don't know. Maybe I should read the article, Chris." <laughs> it's the best debating skills just shoot somebody down the moment they get any momentum going (laughs) okay so like just cut him off at the legs (laughs) hang me up why don't you like grab your great axe sharpen it and then just like swing for the feet (laughs) Oh my gosh. Okay, to make my point clear, there are some toppings, at least the ones that I like, are not as good leftovers because they get soggy. And if you have less on there, when it's just, let's say, for instance, just pepperoni and cheese, it tastes better when you warm it up. But if you have it, or cold, I guess, whatever, if if you're like that. Um, (laughs) But I feel like, it, it, there are some like variables that make some leftover pizza better than you know. Man, we talk about pizza it's a on scale. this podcast, don't we, Chris? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, it, it, it's a uh, it's just come up before. <laughs> and you don't even a few like, times. And you you don't even like pizza too. So like that. <laughs> yeah, no, I don't like pizza as much anymore. Yeah, so like, wh- why do you have a stake in this then? Wh- why are you making all these points if you don't even like? Warm or cold pizza. Uh, I, I love a good fight. Ah, yes. <laughs> like every good American. <laughs> <laughs> no, I okay. So interestingly, I don't really like pizza right now at this point in my life, but I would eat cold pizza. If someone was like, oh, we have hot pizza. Eh. Oh, now we have cold pizza. Oh, okay. Yeah, I guess I'll have a few. You sicken me. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like a true no. American. He has he has no stakes I, in the game, and he's very, very determined to keep fighting. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. And I think about that flag. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, man. 
Um, <laughs> I forgot what we were talking about. <laughs> so anyways, besides pizza, I think yes, lasagna yes. is obviously number two, cold Ooh. or hot. Yes. I chicken, have- like fried chicken, cold or hot, mm-hmm. is also very, very good as leftovers. Yeah. And yep. what is the one? Um, the one that I just had was uh, split pea uh, soup. That was like Ooh. two weeks ago and I had a bunch of leftovers and that was amazing because it it's like good. you know it was cold last week it was like 50 degrees so I like bundled up in my blankets and had that yeah. and it was great it was cozy See? and yes I know 50 degrees is not cold <laughs> I mean I mean to Michigan I mean like I mean yeah right now we're experiencing like 34 degree weather or whatever but like you know I'd, I'd kill for 50 degrees that sounds awesome <laughs> The fluctuations over the past couple of days has been ridiculous. Oh yeah, it's been insane. Um, but I was gonna say, um, there, this past week I made some vegetarian chili, and that is amazing as leftover chili. That could last a long time, and it's so good each time you eat it too. And you know, it's, do you eat it with like, saltines? Do I eat it with saltines? Yeah. No, I eat it with tortilla chips. Okay, sure, that works. What, that works. Were you, were you, were you, were you, was there something you were going to say there? If you would have said Ritz crackers, he would have like smacked you through the computer. Because <laughs> <laughs> like he's not gonna, he's not gonna screw around with those Ritz crackers. It's saltines all the way. You know that whole wheat saltines either. <laughs> <laughs> and if you start using triscuits. Oh man! <laughs> Just forget see, about it. See, like I, I grew up on tortilla chips with chili all the time. So, like, I never like had like saltine crackers or triscuit with chili. I've always done it with tortilla chips. I don't know why. I'm just used to it that way. I don't know. <laughs> I think another good leftover food um, that is actually pretty good cold. <laughs> this one might be controversial, so I'm willing to go to bat for that. Um, is macaroni and cheese? I think cold mac and cheese is delicious. Yeah, it's not that bad. Okay, oh, wait, hold on, hold on, hold on. Are we talking homemade macaroni and cheese? Are we talking like craft macaroni and cheese? Uh, I will say either. Bold, bold, bold statement. Yep. Anybody want to fight? Not really. I get it. I don't like mac and cheese, but I, I get why, <laughs> why it would be good. Yeah. Like I can't argue because I, 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 I can visualize it or like tasteify it, whatever you want to call it. And I'm tasteify. like, yeah, I get it. <laughs> taste of it. Taste of vision. <laughs> Yeah, I think I think that's a psychic ability. There's there's clairvoyance, there's clairaudience, and then there's there's taste of vision. Taste of vision. I'm loving that's it. How, yeah, like that. That's going to be the new hit TLC show. Is a medium who can taste ghosts. It's like, oh, <laughs> I taste peppermint. Oh, there's a bad one here. Oh yeah, Wait. peppermint. I don't Wait know. I feel like a good majority of those ghosts are going to taste like Old Spice. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like. I feel like a ghost, like, cause you know, like they have like ectoplasm, whatever. I feel like they taste like allegedly soup. (laughs) I feel like it'd be like cold, like stale soup or something like that. Like you think that's what ectoplasm tastes like? I think it's more of like a jello, like clam chowder or something. Like, I don't know. I just, I just feel I'm getting those vibes because I feel like it's not something appetizing. So if like some, uh, if they like, if they ate ectoplasm, I feel like, it's just like stale clam chowder. Like it's just, it's just, it's not good. Just don't do it. Don't taste ghosts. <laughs> okay. I'm going to say chowder is one of the most unattractive English words in the dictionary. Ch- chowder. Say chowder. 
chowder. It's just gross. Everything chowder, about yeah. it just sounds gross. <laughs> like chow down on some chowder. Oh god, that does sound gross. <laughs> yeah, it, it does. It really does. When you really think about it, chowder is one of the grossest English words. I don't know, man. I, I people there, are like, some... oh, don't say moist around me, but moist. It's just no, it's not that big. Moist of a deal. is not bad. Chowder. No, there's one that's worse. worse than moist. No, there's one that's worse than chowder and moist. Orifice. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's, that's all the time we have for going off topic. <laughs> Thanks, all four of you who are still listening. Uh, <laughs> see ya. Good luck not, out not. there. <laughs> Usually like hit the eject button. Like, that's the <laughs> yeah. word that you want. That's the word that it's like, okay, let's end this podcast. Three, two, one. Orifice. Eject. <laughs> I don't think I laughed as much an episode in a long time, to be honest. <laughs> it, it might be the it might be like the whole quarantine life going on here, but like I'm having a great time. <laughs> you know, I, I actually I want to double up on desserts being good leftovers. I actually think desserts are kind of optimized to get cold and be eaten. Like oh, yeah. chocolate, cold chocolate is delicious, and we have cold chocolate. Yes, we have chocolate in pretty you. much every kind of dessert. Cold chocolate is so good. Like if you yeah. like it, like for instance, like I know, like a couple episodes ago that we say Hershey's chocolate tastes like vomit for most people outside the United States, whatever. <laughs> but like Hershey bars, like or like dark chocolate. Okay, there, there's a better one. Dark chocolate, like dark chocolate chips, baking chips. You put them in the free- freezer for a while, and then like pull them out like an hour later. They are so, so tasty. I don't know why. It's just like extra crunchy, extra cold. It just feels good. Like, yeah, it, it, it's better than like a melted version of it, like in like a chocolate chip cookie or eating it yeah. just, you know, at normal room temperature. But there's just something specific about that, you know, peak coldness put into a, like a dark chocolate chip or a Hershey bar that tastes like vomit, apparently. <laughs> so yeah, apparently, I, I, according- like, I agree with you. According to uh, Google, uh, sorry to cut you off there, Talon, uh, frozen candy bars, which have chocolate on them, taste better sometimes because the textural difference allows you to appreciate the crunchiness more as there is more of it. Uh, Frozen chocolate bars, though, just taste muted as the flavors really only develop on your tongue as it warms up and spreads. Hmm. Yeah, there we go. See, I disagree with that. I disagree with that wholeheartedly. (laughs) I, 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 I understand what it's saying. I understand, like... It's like, I feel like Kanye. I, I'm going to let you finish, but like Beyonce had the greatest chocolate bar of all time. No. Tell, uh, that, that's, that's totally fine to disagree. Just know uh, you're taking that up with Google. Um, so That's fine. Know. Yeah. Uh, I, I will take on Google. I will Come take on. on Yahoo and Ask Jeeves, whatever you want to throw at me. Dogpile. Um, <laughs> GoDaddy.com. Go so, yeah, GoDaddy.com, whatever. Um, so I, when I went to the UK about like six months ago, I smuggled a couple uh, Cadbury chocolate bars because yes, yes chocolate there are is actually better. The Cadbury that we have here is trash. It's made by like <laughs> Nestle, and it's like it's it's disgusting. You go there and you have an Oreo like chocolate bar, and it's the best thing you've ever had. It's so rich and creamy and amazing. Mm. I smuggled a couple back and put them in the freezer, and I would just like bite in and just like let it melt in my mouth, and it was, uh, that so like good. Heaven. Oh my gosh! It was, <laughs> so yes, that's that's ch- cold chocolate's the best. 
Yes. Yeah. No, and I'm, I'm with you, Talon, on the Cadbury, especially the Cadbury eggs. They're just not the same anymore. They used to be so delicious, and now it's just like a thin chocolate layer filled with crust toothpaste. Ugh. Ugh. Basically, yeah. Gross. Well, that's what they did with, like, Kinder Eggs, too, because Kinder Eggs in, like, in Europe are so good, so rich, and there's a lot more stuff in them, but because we have, like, all these health regulations here, they can't really, like, put the, the, the there's a toy inside of, like, the egg, and they can't do that here because of choking hazards, and so it's a completely <laughs> different kind of thing, and it kind of makes it into, like, oh. an egg with, like, toothpaste in the center. One of my uh, friends growing up, uh, her mom was a um, um, a stewardess on, an air, on air flights, and she would go to Germany often, and she would always she would get the Kinder eggs to bring back home to us. So like I actually had Kinder eggs with those toys inside the chocolate egg. So yeah, I was totally breaking the law when I was like eight or nine years old. So go rebel. But like I I I, I can definitely understand the whole choking hazard part because you'll get some really really stupid kid that'll just chuck the egg in its mouth and completely just choke on like some race car that was in there or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I think that's the same case for a lot of uh, really eager adults, too. I think a lot of us would choke on that stuff, too. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah totally. totally. Yeah, yeah. No, once no, no, you no. got some good momentum going on some snacking and you're chowing down, uh, yeah, you, all bets are off. So, yeah. Watch out. Can't stop stuff. momentum. <laughs> Except a toy car. A toy car in the esophagus could stop momentum. <laughs> the wheels keep turning, but it ain't going anywhere. <laughs> Every time I yep, think of it like definitely a choking slams on scene, the brakes. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> every time, every time I think of a choking scene, I think of uh, Squidward choking on the fork. <laughs> <laughs> and the sound always goes back to SpongeBob. Oh, editing, Brandon! Please tell me you have a sound effect for that. Oh. <laughs> I hope you're not like wanting to insert like a gagging sound effect because that's just weird. We're talking all about this choking stuff, and it's like, oh, I, I, <laughs> so you say. <laughs> and then um, all of a sudden, I listen back to this episode, and it's like, oh uh, wow, Brandon, you had way too much fun with that. <laughs> Doing some Brand- ADR, aren't you? <laughs> Brandon was very bored during quarantine time. He had to make sure he was entertained. <laughs> um, but like. What do you guys think about, like, this is just a crazy thought. I just thought of this. Frozen Oreos. Would that work better? Think about it. So, like, you put Oreos, like, in the freezer, and the frosting within it gets a little bit harder, but not, like, frozen solid. So, like, when you bite into it, it's like biting into, like, a cake, you know, basically, or, like, some sort of, like, you know, ice cream or something, like... Um, I'm, I'm just throwing out ideas. Like, do you think like an Oreo, like a double stuffed Oreo, like in a freeze freezer would actually taste better than just having it normally? Well, it sounds like we got plenty of time to uh, do that science experiment. So we'll just have to ask all the people who hoarded the double stuffed Oreos, uh, how that works out for them. <laughs> yeah. Contact Chris t- to tell us where you find, where your double stuffed yeah, is. Yeah, his phone so number is one, two, <laughs> yeah, three, yeah. four, <laughs> whoa, wait. Whoa, 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 Talon, Talon, Talon. I told you my number in confidence. <laughs> ha, now you know how it feels. Thanks, Tom. I appreciate whoa. it. <laughs> As you can tell, I've listened to your, your show. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Um, in, in short, like, you know what? Actually, there is one more leftover I always have whenever I go to this place. So n- now this is going to like the, the takeout, carryout kind of thing. Um, so. 
when I go to Buffalo Wild Wings, I actually order more wings than I do than I eat at the like at the restaurant because I like having them for lunch the next day or like and the thing is I can eat these babies cold or like I can eat them warm like preferably cold because like it's like it's a cold meat and sauce but spicy like it's it's like a really good combination of like flavor and like temp like I don't know it's just really cool but like um, you know what Brandon I'm gonna give that a family feud good answer good answer <laughs> I completely I would say agree with uh, 45 you. people out of 100 agree with you. Uh, you are number two on the board. What is your next guess? <laughs> well, am I going to say like uh, Taco Bell tacos? No. What do you think no, I a am? Chalupa. An idiot? Oh, wait, what? Chalupa. A ch- chalupa. Chalupa. Mm. Oh, yeah. I guess, I guess so. <laughs> See, Chalupa is actually one of the most attractive words in the English dictionary. Chalupa. <laughs> chalupa. <laughs> so we've managed to get the worst and one of the better ones, Chalupa. We're making progress here and going off topic. <laughs> yep. A more attractive wordplay. Yes. I think it's time to talk about Talon's really, really insightful topic. Yeah. So I just wanted to like talk more about not even just reviewing of movies, but talk about how we people, critics or whatever, or filmmakers, anyone just talk about movies because I think that's more fascinating than just specifically reviews. So like the way I was thinking about it, the perfect example of this like idea is Star Wars. And as soon as I say that, as soon as I say that, you know, there's 50% of your audience that thinks one way and 50% of the audience thinks another way. Mm -hmm. Yeah, easily. So the idea is, I don't know, I just wanted to have a discussion with you guys and kind of see what you guys think about how people talk about movies and what role do critics play? What role do the people play in like talking about movies? What role do filmmakers like Scorsese going in and saying that Marvel movies aren't cinema have to play into this whole system of like something that's meant to be most awesome, like mainstream, enjoyable, but also an art form? Oh, man, you're talking our language here. This is this is going to be good. <laughs> <laughs> oh man um i guess i guess i'll start off um so the way i see it like i feel like star wars is a perfect like watching point here because like i feel like at least mo the majority of people because i know actually quite a few people who haven't watched any of them or like watched little of them but like for the most part most people alive on this planet probably have seen at least one star wars movie and it means so many things to so many people. So at least from like an audience standpoint, um, with Star Wars, for instance, like people associate it with their childhood because it's associated, you know, as a classic movie, you know, um, or movie series, I guess. And, you know, some people look at it one way. So you have like, you know, audience members who are like, I liked having a good, you know, visually stunning, you know, you know, audibly terrific movie to like watch or listen to you know like it's a it's a fun time to like you know sit back relax or just like have it on the background and like have fun with it and then you get some audience members who like to dissect the movie a little bit more and maybe come up with some theories maybe come up with a little you know analysis like oh maybe this star wars series is about the hero's journey for instance or it's like you know um an allegory of you know 
like the Vietnam War, for instance, you know, or something like that. Like, you know, people like like to like dissect things and like analysis. And, you know, I feel like audience members do that quite considerably. But, you know, obviously the critics side, they have a more analytical aspect to it than an, an entertainment value aspect to it, you know. Um, and I feel like there are some points to where that line gets to like, it, it doesn't get too meshed well with. So like, there'll be some opinions that are so like polar opposite. So you have like, um, well, really, honestly, the, the most recent, uh, sequel trilogy of star Wars. So, uh, force awakens, last Jedi and, uh, rise of Skywalker. Um, like those movies, like critics and fans have, pretty different views on the movies so if we look at like last jedi for instance you know that's completely (laughs) like polar opposite you know now i have a question for you and if you don't want to go on the record on this you can totally like skirt past this but (laughs) what are your opinions of those three movies chris and brendan Hmm. whoa 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 why am i getting dragged into this (laughs) you're part of this podcast Uh, (laughs) too kid (laughs) hey you could you can say you don't have an opinion but i definitely have my opinion on those on those episodes i'm not i'm not scared of it like i i I ain't scared i'll be happy to tell it (laughs) um so at at least for me like my opinions on movies kind of like change every now and then but this one's been pretty consistent so for the most part, I think it's fine, you know? Um, so, like, episode seven, like, when I first saw Force Awakens, like, I fell in love with it because I had a bias. I had, like, a pre-existing, like, notion of, you know, oh, this isn't, like, a previous set of movies, or this isn't, like, it's more like this set of movies, for instance. And I was so enamored by it. But, like, looking back on it now... It's a very, in my opinion, it's a very tame and very formulaic and safe movie compared to anything else. I like seeing things take risks, and I I know a lot of people don't like it, but I really like Last Jedi a lot. Does it have problems? I've stayed before. Oh, yes, it does. But there's just something, like, really... I don't know how to describe it. Like it just, it evokes a different kind of feeling, but I think what attracts about that movie the most besides like, you know, the visual and, you know, technical aspect to it is Luke Skywalker in that movie. I like the whole hermit aspect of like Luke not being himself anymore. Oh, uh, possible spoilers. If, if I just throwing it out there, we're talking about movies. Uh, just, Saying that right there. There's going to be so many spoilers in this that this is just like, if we start talking about a movie, expect to be spoiled yeah. on at least one thing. Exactly. That's why I'm like saying it right now. Like, we're that this spoiler of the episode, basically. So just saying that right now. Uh, come back, whatever. If you want to risk it, go for it. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So, like, Luke Skywalker, for instance, like his whole journey of like, he's kind of brokenhearted. You know, he's, you know, not himself anymore and you know he has to not necessarily redeem himself but like he be, finds his old ways come back to him but he's not who he was before in a sense like i don't know i just like i find that like storyline aspect so awesome because like it reminds me of like other storylines like from other parts of medium so like you know we have logan we have uh, god of war 4 you know like the whole like the journey that it, the hero that is you know uh just like 
discouraged, you know, is worn out, is old, but somehow is able to come back one more time to like, you know, set things straight. Like I love that kind of storyline. It is so beautiful and like other storylines. Um, but yeah, like I know most people don't like Last Jedi because it, it offset things, it ruined things. Yeah, there could have been more organization, but you know, whatever. Um, but then La- Rise of Skywalker, it's uh, it's my least favorite, I think, out of the whole tri- new trilogy here. Um, and then my, in my, my opinion might change later on, but to me, it just felt really rushed, like with production, like a lot of answers got solved, like really lazily in a sense. And they were trying like, Oh, let's fix the mistakes of the past to like, you know, make it better kind of thing. And it just didn't turn out as well. And like Palpatine coming back, just kind of seemed, eh, I'd rather have something new. I like more risk taking, you know? And like, once again, that felt pretty safe overall pretty tame so i guess on a whole aspect if it's like an entertainment value it's fine i i had a good time in the theater and i still watch them digitally whether it's disney plus or you know um i own them digitally but you know do i have a favorite out of the bunch yeah less jedi i i've watched that more times than any other movie in that trilogy for sure for sure because i i'm still trying to figure out why i like it so much i don't know but all how right chris you, how about you chris yeah <laughs> <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> oh he's ready he's Making ready for sound... he's ready for some oh, words yeah. <laughs> uh no it's gonna make it sound like uh i have much more to say on this than i actually do uh <laughs> I'll, I'll be completely honest i'm pretty indifferent to the last three uh i respect people who love them and i respect people who hate them I am kind of a true uh, middle ground guy here in regards to this. Uh, Mm -hmm. I can see the arguments for both sides. Um, And yeah, so as you can see, I'm taking the very uh, Switzerland approach here, going neutral. Yeah, I was about to say. Uh, (laughs) But uh, which is, yeah, not usually my style. But uh, there's, I've seen all three of them, and there's parts that are fun that I enjoyed and felt like I got to connect with the characters or the story in certain parts. And then there are parts where, yeah, you're sitting there kind of rolling your eyes like, Oh, they went with this. Okay. Well, you know, and I just try not to really dwell on it. Um, I try to Mm -hmm. put into perspective that there could be a whole new generation of star Wars fans watching those movies and just being blown away by them. And, And I kind of try to keep that in mind and to not be too critical and, you know, allow people, I I try to live by the philosophy, believe it or not, um, to please, it's, (laughs) it's kind of, it's a popular meme we see these days, which is basically this person is complaining about something and another person walks in and they say, shh, let people like what they want to like. And that's kind of where I'm at is it's like, you know. Uh, just let people do what you know they makes them happy in regards to their entertainment and like what yeah. they want to like and who am i to say uh th- this movie is bad and you should not like it uh because i think it's bad well what do i know i'm just a guy you know and i think it just ultimately comes down to choice and <sighs> i yeah i'm starting to kind of ramble here but uh <laughs> I No, it's funny I, that like the way you're saying it, it's just the the whole point of me asking you guys why you guys like it is that 
when you ask someone normally, like when it's not three people that went to film school, you ask that question and you hear, oh, I hated The Last Jedi or I hated uh, The Skywalker, the third one. And yeah. it's such yep. like a divisive conversation. And then you have these consequences that, Chris, you're kind of talking around, which is kids are going to be growing up hearing, well, if you like The Last Jedi, then you're not a real Star Wars fan. Or oh, you're going to have these yep. <laughs> kids hearing that, well, The Force Awakens is the pinnacle of what Star Wars is. And if you don't believe in that, then you're not a real Star Wars fan. And it goes into this whole like, gatekeeping yeah. thing where yeah. all these people are like, well, did you watch this? Did you watch these movies in order? Did you watch the Marvel movies as they came out? Or did you watch them linearly? Or Because oh, yeah. if you didn't, then you're, not a real, then you're not a real Marvel fan. Oh, of course. And that's that's <laughs> yeah. the divisiveness that I think is super fascinating about how we talk about movies because Star Wars is probably the biggest franchise we have out there right now besides Marvel, right? Both oh, yeah. by yeah. Disney, my supreme overlord. But like, <laughs> it's, it's, it's fascinating to see these people kind of fight over something that they, they feel they have ownership of and they fight for it right. in a way that's like abs- in absolutes. A Sith always deals in absolute. <laughs> yeah, I have that. Sorry. I literally have that quote written on a piece of paper right now or on my notes. And I was like, if you didn't bring it up, I was going to say only a Sith deals in absolutes, right? Yes. Like, and it's ironic that people are having these discussions. Well, if you like Ryan Johnson as a filmmaker, if you like Ryan Johnson, period, if you like this, then blah, blah, blah. It's, it's revealing more so about the people that are having a discussion than it is about the art itself. Right. Yeah. Sith deal in absolutes. That's like, it's the crazy thing about, again, these fandoms and like fandoms almost create a dichotomy between whether something is correct or incorrect. Uh, It's either black or white. It's either one or zero. Yeah. I mean, absolutely. And, you know, that could just be like a greater indicator of our society in general is that we've kind of moved towards a this or that, not a spectrum. Mm -hmm. And it's yeah. kind of, I personally believe that there's just many shades of gray in all, all uh, topics, all content, all uh, matters of discussion. And yeah. I think everybody falls into different uh, categories along that spectrum. And I, I don't see why entertainment would be any different. Um, so it's then, just, Chris, yeah. do you think that because you say that, do you think it's okay for some people to like pie? Oh <laughs> uh, no, that's no negotiating. No, that's we've already covered that. I that's, knew that's where there, you were going, some, Talon, and that made me happy. There are some things that are uh, just beyond uh, redemption. There's no, nope. There's no, there's no feel good story where they come back from the dark side. Nope. There's no redemption from that. That's that is the ultimate abyss of where topics go to die. <laughs> I will die on this hill. I do not care. <laughs> no, and and like jokes aside, like it's weird because even if we're just talking about movies, if we're talking about any sort of media, there's going to be people that are having the same discussion that we are, and we are in all in agreement that there's this crazy binary that's going on. But then a lot of those people, I don't want to say it's a majority, but like it's a good number right. of people also have those one thing that like they don't they can't separate them from themselves from this it is this or this it or tit or tat it's like they can't separate themselves from that 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 right. uh that but that that binary yeah i think it ultimately comes back to like human nature um i think it, it might actually just be kind of uh ingrained in us and like maybe tribalism. that goes back yeah maybe With that goes back to a sort of yeah like a survival you know standpoint like if we think back to like older times maybe it was uh, if I don't connect with this tribe, 
then I'm not going to be eating regularly uh, yeah. or have shelter um, because I can't count on anybody because I don't connect with any of these people and they don't connect with me. Ah. Like I said, going off topic, scientific podcast uh, brought to you by uh, uh, No Sources. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> brought to you by No Sources and everything is plagiarized. Yes, that is the dr- that is the American dream right there. Absolutely, yes. and then we and then we make all the money and don't give any credit. That's exactly how it's supposed to work, right? Y- yes. So, so I feel like I have to clarify. That's just my interpretation. That is not scientifically yeah. backed or anything. Just like uh, Cadbury eggs are not filled with Crest toothpaste. That was a joke. Yes. Uh, yes. That, 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 what, what it is filled with is the consistency of Crest toothpaste, but it's not scientific. I can't prove. That there's crest toothpaste and Cadbury yes, eggs. Yes, prove that it's not. <laughs> yes, so. but I it's, also it's like can't a Schrodinger's box. <laughs> it's a Schrodinger's cat. cat Schrodinger's situation. egg. <laughs> <laughs> so wait, should we call the cat Schrodinger or Cadbury? <laughs> oh, talent! Oh, that's perfect. <laughs> so no, but going back to this topic of like, yeah, we have this sense of tribalism we have the sense of you versus me that's yeah. fine and I, I i would tend to agree with you that there is that is a major aspect like uh going in a larger sociological perspective that's the reason that we have different religious groups and different cultural groups and different like groups that people f- make on purpose like even just fandom web pages on tumblr or reddit like oh yeah it's the same yep. thing like we want to group together regardless of the like social or political implications that is but the thing that i think doesn't help is when we create systems and create things that further that binary and the perfect right. example of this is rotten tomatoes yep Ooh. that is the one yep and i th- i think we need to clarify people where these percentages actually come from because no yeah a lot I, of people I, think it's, it's crazy it's a, like an actual like reviewer doing that and it's not <laughs> like <laughs> no. So Rotten Tomatoes is literally what is called a review aggregator. Basically, it uh, the people that run it pick which of the reviewers online, either print or online mediums, and they give them the credibility to be considered a critic. And then they go through their reviews. And then after going through their reviews, they decide if the review was positive or if the review was negative. And it's a lot of work. The, yeah, which is a lot of work. But the thing is, like, if um, all of a sudden, like, um, let's say Anthony Lane from, I think it's the New York Times, uh, if he has his things shown as rotten and he decides that, oh, I actually don't think it's rotten, I would give it like a positive, like it's, it's fresh, then he can go and change it. There's, there's the one saving grace. But yeah. Basically, it just combines all that information, and then it gives you a percentage of how much of it is considered fresh compared to how much of it is considered rotten, either right. above 60% or below 60%. Which, you know, is kind of a fair, like, you know, percentage to go off of because, you know, I, I guess like in some, you know, academic situations, 60% is a D, basically, you know, and like, you know, if it's like still fresh, like that's pretty good overall you know like they're being generous like if it was like you know parent expectations like oh it has to be like a b minus let's say for instance like you know like 80 percent or up like that's a little bit more strict in a way so like at least they're being a little bit lenient on like where you know they can categorize freshness or not i guess yeah i mean i think 60s are pretty good that's a lot of what i saw back in high school on my report card so And look how I turned out. (laughs) And I turned out fine. (laughs) But I will say that I think that perspective 
is a little flawed to think that basing it off of these dichotomies of positive or negative actually creates a fair system only because the reviews that they're basing it off of are not black and white. They oh, are these reviews not. that are very nuanced. And so if they take a review that is lukewarm, that would have given the film like a 51%. It's like, you know, this movie is completely passable. It's not bad. It's fine. That technically gets a, uh, a fresh because it's not a negative review. Right. And so would you rather see a movie that has 80% of people thinking it's amazing or a movie that has 100% of people thinking that it's just okay? I would pick mm. the second one every time. Yeah. And yeah, if, like, so if that's why I think Rotten Tomatoes doesn't really give the accurate representation. I don't, I don't think Rotten Tomatoes is bad. I think it's a good thing to like exist and good for like people to like get a general gauge of like where things are sitting. Right. But it's not statistically, it's not really a fair representation of the actual reviews. Yeah. My, my problem with the, um, the, the intake of Rotten Tomatoes is the, I guess the influence of the audience onto the score because of a certain opinion, for instance. So a, a lot of people can point this out. So let's just say Captain Marvel from 2019, uh, when that movie came out. Um, is it the best Marvel movie ever? No, but it's still entertaining. It's still fun. Like I still had a good time watching it, but there is some communities out there who wanted to bash the movie because of, you know, their supposed, you know, agenda that was put onto it. And they basically review bombed the movie to make it a lower percentage, which it wasn't deserved because they were basically going through a whole nother, like, you know, like narrative, I guess you can say when it, when it comes to, you know, getting what they want instead of like being fair and honest and saying like, Oh, that was a good movie or oh, that was a bad movie, you know, but instead they're influencing the score in their favor rather than, you know, giving their honest score in a sense. And I, I, I don't really think that's fair to a lot of people, especially the ones that worked on the films themselves. Cause like you're putting all that hard work and effort, you know, like, and scores definitely like influence the audience to want to go see a movie. Like you said, so, and yes. you see it, if they see a bad score, they're like, why would I want to watch it? I mean, yeah, you get some, like, yeah. you know, a masochist out there that wants to you know, watch a bad movie like that. But like, you know, well, you get people. Did you see how many people watch Cats? Come on. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but so you, I've never seen it. So I can't like make a judgment on Cats. But I'm just saying like there are people that de- genuinely go out there to find like the worst movie. Oh, yeah. Th- easily. Like I've, I've even done it in some several occasions. Like <laughs> the room. Oh, excuse me. Uh, <laughs> uh, but oh, hi, like, Mark. <laughs> oh, hi, Mark. Uh, to follow up on uh, what you're saying, Brandon, about uh, reviews affecting uh, people, I also think that negative reviews can also influence other reviewers, and I think it can be kind of a bandwagon uh, yeah. effect where you see somebody giving someone like a, like a a movie a score of like a seven or something, and then right. you might have somebody who is like, oh well, yeah, I kind of think it's a seven too. And you start to kind of go towards a familiar number because that's what you're seeing. And I think that can affect reviewers too, is seeing a bunch of sevens instead of tens. Yeah. And also just the simple thing of like, it's become cool to dislike movies. It's become cool to become cynical. Oh yeah. Yeah. Easily. You know, it's kind of funny because like I'm getting like GVSU film school vibes right now. So like I'm thinking like, you know, someone has a thought about like, you know, 
doing an analysis like on like a foreign film, for instance, and someone makes an opinion like, oh, what do you think that film was about? Well, you know, like, like, oh, I think it was about this. And then you had like the really like snobby film student that goes like, oh, but I actually think it's about, you know, this sort of political movement, blah, blah, blah. And then everyone goes on that bandwagon because they're like, oh, he knows what's going on. I'm going to go off his answer. And everyone has the same kind you've, of answer, you, you, basically. You you forgot yeah, group that. Think. Yeah, you forgot that before they say all that, they they take their fedora off and take the the corncob pipe out of their mouth first, and then they say all that. Does the pipe blow smoke or like bubbles? Because if it blew uh, bubbles, then I'd be totally down to listen to anything this person says. Unfortunately, Talon, we 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 both went there and and we know it was never bubbles. It was never no. bubbles. No, <laughs> it was just it was just burning dollar bills from our student loans. Yeah, yeah. pretty much. <laughs> But you know what I mean? No, like that's what that's why I'm like kind of getting a feeling, the vibe of that is that like these other reviewers don't want to be like you know singled out for having their opinion or whatever, and they go off of someone else's who is more ve- like you know recognized in the um, in the industry. So that way, their review is safe and they get more clicks or views yeah, or listens, basically. It's a pack mentality. Uh, I think we've we've talked about there are contrarians for the sake of being contrarian. But I think a lot of people don't go against the grain because going against the grain gets heat, gets a, it gets attention. And some people don't yep. want heat. They don't want attention. So they're like, yeah, well, I'll go with this range of review or this this kind of tone about a movie because I want to fit in and blend in more with people as opposed to standing out. Because some people don't want right. that. They don't want to be you, the person that's like, you, you know, standing up on a soapbox and claiming that this is garbage and, you know, vice versa. Well, yeah, you could just go to any single like YouTube film critic and go to their top 10 movies of the year. And I would say 90% of the time, they're the same 10 movies just shuffled around because everyone doesn't want to like, you know, push the boat. They want to yeah. be part of the end crowd. It's like, I, you know, you know this really underrated movie? It's called... Uh, it's called uh, Parasite. No one's ever heard of it. No one's ever heard of it. And I love it. It's my second favorite movie of the year. And it, 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 it would have been the number one, but Tarantino came out with a movie. So like I had to yes. make it my number one. Like <laughs> that's how it kind of sounds when you like watch some of these people. And like, again, there's nothing wrong with that if that's your honest opinion. But there's like this right. group thing where it's like, well, I don't want to stand out too much because then I might lose my audience. And that's a valid concern for someone that makes a living off of like film criticism online. Yeah, exactly. Especially, you know, the video essays that people put out there like on, you know, YouTube and everything. And, you know, they're always trying to like upstep someone else, you know, basically survive, you know, while living on those funds. And it's kind of sad that like that's motivating their, you know, review on a product, you know, an entertainment product like that. And, you know, instead of being like honest, like, yeah, like let's say, for instance, like, you know, on Parasite, for instance, like what, once again, phenomenal movie. I, I do love that movie a lot, but like, you know, it's like, people are like, you know, Oh, well, everyone loves this movie, but what if I, you know, took a really harsh critique on it to make it me feel different. And, you know, maybe more people would look at my review or look at my video basically on that. And instead of being genuinely honest, you know, I mean, if, if you didn't like it, you know, no problem. But like, you know, but like, for the sake of it just to like get more attention that's not the best train of thought you know when you're making this kind of things but you know some people do do that you know um which is sad but i I, I imagine i imagine that there is some film critic listening to this episode right now and is just like hey guys shut up okay (laughs) 
You're ruining this. I got a good thing going here. <laughs> you know, they, you're not wrong. <laughs> like, there's definitely, they got a good thing going. And like, they're, when we talk, again, when we talk about how we talk about movies, there's, it's such a broad topic, but it keeps on boiling down to there isn't this di- dichotomy. Everything is great. Everyone has an opinion. And the way that people talk about movies, almost even just the language that they choose, like the language that we choose when we decide how we want to talk about something says a lot about how we feel about that thing. If I right. say this is a bad movie, if I say this is a good movie, then it creates that false dichotomy regardless of whether or not I'm trying to. Because it's yeah, like yeah. very specifically choosing your language to realize that there isn't really a section of movies that are like better than others. It's a subjective thing. You're trying to place an objective uh, ruler on. Yeah. And also like when you're looking to watch a movie, you know, a lot of us do have goals in mind before we go watching it. So let's say for instance, like, you know, yeah, we were mentioning earlier, some people want to go see a bad movie for most people out there. They don't want to watch it because it's a bad movie and it, and it stinks, but to them, they get some sort of enjoyment out of it. And then you have people who watch, you know, like a saga movie or like, you know, a, a movie that's in a series like Marvel or Star Wars. They have a goal in mind because they want to see how the story continues or like they want to like look at that. Or you have some people out there who follow a director's series of films, for instance, like Tarantino. So, you know, they're wanting to go see this movie, just be, not just because like, oh, you know, it's it's going to be a fun movie. It's going to be something cool. But like, you know, they're watching like, okay, what's Tarantino going to do to this movie right here compared to his other ones? So like you have these like different like, you know, objectives before you watch a movie sometimes if you know about it ahead of time, basically. And, you know, sometimes that may affect the way you think about a movie afterwards and like how you analyze or critique it. So, you know, sometimes you got to keep that in, in mind, too, because like pre preconceived notions do affect the way we watch things. And that's why sometimes our opinions shift and change, because like, like say, for instance, um, like um, Force Awakens for me, like when I first watched it, my preconceived notion was that like, oh, this is going to be just like the original trilogy and not like the prequel trilogy. So it's going to have a different you know, feeling to it, but also reminiscent, you know, but like looking at it now, because that movie's been made, you know, five years ago in you know, four, four years and whatever, but like, you know, and now I look at that movie differently because I, ha- that movie series has gone by already, you know, and you know, my, my thoughts on the film have changed because my mindset on it like has grown since then. So I, I guess it's just one way to look at it too. Like, you know, our, not biases, but like, you know, our, our thoughts change depending on when and how we see a movie too as well. Yeah. But there's, there's like, uh, historically there are so many film critics, like people that are like renowned critics that will go back like 10 years down the line and say, oops, I was wrong. And just like retract their review and say, you know what? I didn't like it at the time. I think that I had a valid reaction, but I changed my opinion. This movie's better. Like people have said that about like Taxi Driver or Psycho or Star Wars. Yeah. Like some or even Fight Club. Like some of these yep. movies that originally got panned and then they turn around people turn around 20 years later and they realize, "Oh, wow, this movie is really really good." Yeah, I mean like the same thing happened with uh, It's a Wonderful Life. Like when that like uh, premiered in theaters, like it bombed. Like not a lot of people really liked the movie, but like you know, years later when it like came on television and more people got exposed to it, like it became an, a, a Christmas classic. And like, you know, everyone, 
you know, who knows that movie is like, yeah, that's a fantastic film, you know, like, you know, cause like depending on like how it was released in some cases, you know, how it's promoted. And yeah. So um, to me, yeah. Like to me, that seems like an example of, uh, where reviews keep people from going to see movies where there's enough of a negative, uh, like, you know, reception of a film or, you know, insert whatever medium, uh, or, you know, entertainment we're talking about. Uh, and that prevents people from going to go see it. And then they're like, well, I guess I won't pay money to go see it, but if it's on TV, I'll watch it. And then they watch it on TV and they're like, well, no, I actually like that. I found that pretty entertaining. Well, it's funny you say that, Chris, because I actually did do that with the movie from last year, which happened to be Lion King. I waited for it to go on Disney <coughs> Plus because I didn't want to pay money in, like, pay a lot of money to see it in theaters to watch it. And yeah, I know I'm paying money like on Disney Plus, whatever. But like, you know, I, I feel like it's not as I don't want to say guilty, but like I feel like I'm not putting as much into it watching it this way than watching it in theaters. And I'm kind of glad I, you know, waited until then because, you know, I, I didn't like the remake, you know, and like, I do, I do feel like some people do do that based on like, you know, reviews and people's, you know, thoughts on the film beforehand. And it does, you know, it does change. Like it, it really does. And like, I don't do that rarely. And I, I don't, I don't do that at all. Like that was like a very rare thing for me to do. So like, I, I know how they feel like when it comes to like, oh, I'm going to wait until on TV or, you know, a streaming service has it or whatever. So, well, yeah. And that's why Hollywood, like general term is scared of a thing like Rotten Tomato, because it has that power. It has that power to make people see a movie or not see a movie. And that's why mm-hmm. it's again, it's scary because. I don't think Rotten Tomatoes is ruining the industry. I don't think that it's one no. site's going to change everything, but it's having a massive effect because, again, going back to the thing I said before, it's like, would you rather see a movie that 80% of people think is amazing or 100% think is okay? And are studios now going to be making those movies that appear like appease the 100% think it's okay? 100% they're going to. They're going to oh, make yeah. more of those kind of movies, and it's going to make a lot more banal movies. It's and still a business. I don't think... Yeah. It's still a business and that's all that's their prerogative. And like again, I think, for example, Rise of Skywalker is an example of that. Like Last Jedi got oh, yeah. so much flack. And they I'm not saying whether or not uh, Rise of Skywalker is a good or bad movie. I'm just saying like I think it played it a lot safer. It yes, didn't take as much did. risks and it kind of went to a a path that a bunch of people would not be offended by. So even people that don't like the movie or it's not for them. It's not like it's offensive in any way that it like no, yeah. it doesn't like stomp on your childhood like apparently Last Jedi did. So it, <laughs> yeah. it's definitely affecting. It's definitely affecting the way that people are making movies and seeing movies. And I, I don't know if that's good or bad. Is that going to shift viewing habits to be more toward like the, uh, big movies going to the theaters, small movies going to Netflix? I don't know. So but it's definitely having an effect. Oh yeah. So my, my question is is that you know. There's a question of like which reception really matters more than critics or audience, or do you think, from what it's sounding like, it sounds like it's more like a a, a both kind of scenario, like you know yeah like what are the what what is the role of a critic right now like honestly what do you guys think of the role of a critic like uh, I would call him like prestige critic like someone like Richard Brody from the New Yorker or someone like um, mm-hmm. A O Scott what is their role in society now. I guess the way I, I see it is to inform the potential audience member 
of, you know, a product, like a preview of a product coming out in a sense, like a little, like, um, like a little synopsis of how it was tested and like, Oh, you know, I, let's say for instance, like, it's like an Amazon review, I guess you can say, you know, it's like, Oh, I tested this, uh, toilet plunger. It, it works great. You know, it's very, you know, sturdy and does the job well done. You know, like I definitely highly recommend this purchase, you know, and you know, they're, they're able to inform the audience, but you know, I guess that's uh, not all rev- critics have that mindset of like informing the audience. Sometimes they do have big egos and they want to like, you know, like strut around and have like a personality with it just to be different com- compared to the other reviewers and critics out there. So I don't know, I guess that's, that's yeah. kind of a bigger question. <laughs> no, I, I would agree with you. I would say that they're mostly testers. And I think that as far as whether you believe them or not, uh, goes back to credibility. I mean, what are their credentials? Have they been in the game a long time, so to speak? Uh, what movies do they typically review favorably? What movies do they typically review poorly? And then you can break it down even further. And I think that um, somebody who loves comic books is reviewing a comic book movie. You might yes. have more of an opinion. On, you might feel more swayed by their opinion than some neutral uh, cr- critic who's like, I don't really care about comic book films. It's just another film to me. Um, yeah. So, yeah. So you can break it down even further by is the critic somebody who typically watches these movies? Are they fans? Are they not fans? What are they? Oh. And also, you can also like pinpoint your own opinions based on their reviews in a sense. So like, like, oh, I loved, let's say, The Shining, for instance. Like, what do they think of The Shining? Or what do they think of, you know, um, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood? Like, you can look back to the reviews and say like, oh, this guy's reviews kind of match up what I think about my favorite films. Maybe when he watches this film that neither of us has seen prior beforehand, maybe I might like it. So I'm willing to trust him more because you know, we have similar, you know, opinions on certain things compared to someone who was like, oh, that's trash. And you're like, okay, maybe I'm not going to like it because this guy doesn't match up with what I think in a sense, you know? Yeah. See, I think I would say, I'm not disagreeing with you. I think you guys are 50% right. I think that that is one half of what a critic is, is the service that a critic provides. Because, mm. yeah, they are like a person that is going through seeing these movies and basically giving a take on it whether or not and people then take that perspective and decide whether or not they are going to agree with it again you can find a critic that is very aligns with your taste and then it finds recommendations or you find a critic that's completely against your tastes and then you see that they really like this movie that you never heard of and you might want to just like test the waters that's definitely one side but i think that critics also have a responsibility they to take a step back, I think not everyone looks at movies the way that people like us three look at it, where we like we're analyzing, we're like we're thinking about every cinematic technique. Right. But I think that the like criticism itself is an art form. Uh, looking at how to discuss movies, how to analyze movies, and how to see movies as something than just the story that's presenting on the screen. I think that informing people and like creating these discussions around the art of filmmaking is another equally important aspect because if all we did when we watched the movie, the shining is think about the story. I think we're only getting about 20% of what that, that movie does. Amazing. It also reveals the psychology of someone that is locked up. It also reveals, uh, if you want to take a specific reading on it, it could be a a story about uh, child abuse. Or Mm -hmm. if you want to take another specific reading, if I don't agree with this reading, but it's about the Apollo moon landing and like how (laughs) apparently Stanley Kubrick did it. Like (laughs) film criticism opens the door 
art for all these different perspectives. And yes, not every audience member wants to do that. Not every audience member wants to go see Avengers Endgame and think of it as a metaphor for A, B, C, or D. But there's a good portion of people that might want to do that. And having critics and having criticism as an important role allows us to kind of push the medium forward or even learn more about the medium in ways that we weren't originally thinking about. Dang. Yeah, that was well. That when was you good, put man. it that way, <laughs> <laughs> but then like also, there's there's other things that critics can do, and uh, I don't know. I've been thinking about this a lot because right now criticism is being like democratized to from like this these pillars of these like lofty intellectuals. Like think Pauline Kael again. Think Richard Brody, A.O. Yep. Scott. These people that are seen as like pseudo or actual intellectuals that are using these large hoot and flute in language and like very pretty words, and they're telling you <laughs> what to think or what not to think about these movies. And now it's democratizing to people that are just the masses. And is that inherently bad? I don't think so. But I don't think that we should negate these critics that are providing an interesting and important service. Like uh, Roger Ebert, basically, he, with with his reviews, would often, like, look at a filmmaker that no one's ever heard of. Same with Pauline Kael. And then they would, like, give them a platform. Yeah, it was a little different back then. But, like, Pauline Kael basically helped start Martin Scorsese's career because she gave him amazing reviews. Uh, same with Ebert. Ebert did that with uh, Ava DuVernay, where she sent him her movie, and then uh, he reviewed it, and then did a bunch of Twitter posts on it, made it an amazing review, and that started her career. And now she's doing like the Central Park Five thing on Netflix that came out. She did A Wrinkle yeah. in Time. She did a bunch of other things, and that's because of a film critic that we all that society as a whole overall respects. So there's still a role for these film critics, and right. also they've they've changed the way that we look at movies, like. Uh, 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 Truffaut and uh, Godard and all, all these people in the French New Wave, they changed how we talk about movies. Like they took Hitchcock, who was like this. Imagine Hitchcock is like a Michael Bay, right? Where he's just yeah. like, he's this person that everyone respects and they go to see all these movies, right? But no one talked about Hitchcock as like the master of like filmmaking or using his amazing techniques. Not until the French New Wave directors made uh, Cahiers du Cinema did they all of a sudden decide like, oh, wow, Hitchcock is like the master filmmaker. He's like the best of all time. And then it changed right. how we talk about filmmakers. Now we talk about Tarantino as an auteur, which is a French word. We talk about Christopher Nolan. We talk about all these filmmakers as like this author of a text. So I don't know. As you can tell, I've been thinking about this a lot. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm getting like, once again, I'm getting like flashbacks of like, like just, oh, man, I remember like film starting school. to learn this stuff from film school. I'm just like, oh, man, I miss this so much. Because <laughs> like, you know, and I, and I told you this a while back, Tom, like, you know, rarely do I get the experience of, like, talking about film analysis like this, you know, with people who, like, are so passionate about it. So, like, just hearing the language like this again just makes me so happy. <laughs> do, you ha- do you have the urge to take notes right now? Yes, I do. I do have the urge to take <laughs> are, notes are you- and make, make some papers, man. <laughs> so, like, we're in world cinema class right now and, like, yes. we're watching something and all of a sudden it's like, oh, God, we have that paper due tomorrow and it's 1,500 words. <laughs> I still have a playlist on Spotify that's called Perrine Paper that I still <laughs> listen to if I really, really need to focus. Please. <laughs> uh going going forward gbsu yeah they get uh, going forward from now on i will be sure to use uh large hoot and flute and talk uh as a a way (laughs) of describing people who are talking down to me yes get out here with your large hoot and flute and talk darn Uh, tootin'. i don't know where i got that i think i got that from my dad i'm a fan hootin' and flutin' here to stay yes please 
Get the bumper stickers ready. Hooting and fluting. Hooting and fluting and Piver's Cake. Those You should get that in your merch store. <laughs> yes. Chris, we need to do this. <laughs> we're, we're, we're working on merch. Okay, I have my best guys on it. It's, uh, it's in progress. And uh, uh-huh. we'll, we will have merch soon. Maybe. Yes, I, yeah. I remember you saying that two years ago. <laughs> uh, you can't rush rush things. Uh, rush art? <laughs> you can't rush art. Uh <laughs> Uh, pl- please, as as uh, Square Next video games would say, please be patient. Please be excited. <laughs> yeah, like that works before. <laughs> yeah, but then sometimes they disappoint. You know, it, it, it's it's a it's a never ending cycle. What Square so Next disappoint? Never, I, I I don't I I don't know their work too much. I don't play their games a lot. But I'm saying like when you do that kind of thing, we're like, hey, wait, it'll be good. It doesn't always work. If you're you're always disappointed, you'll never be let down. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) But going back to going, so I'm going to try my hand at this. Going back on topic, Uh uh, one of the things, hey, one of the things that I, uh, when I was like looking into this a little bit more thoroughly, I remembered this article that I saw uh, probably like two years ago, maybe a year ago. It was when A Quiet Place came out, and. Uh, John Krasinski was doing this interview, I th- again, I think for the New York Times, and uh, he was talking about how he had this experience after he made his uh, first movie, and he was talking to Paul Thomas Anderson about something, like at a party, and he was like, oh, that was a bad movie. And Paul Thomas Anderson, just like after the, he said that, literally pulls him aside and he says, don't say that, don't say it's a bad, don't say it's not a good movie. If it wasn't for you, that's fine, but it's in our, but it's our business, we gotta support each other. That movie was artsy or whatever. Like you gotta wow. support the big swings. You got to, yeah. uh, what is it? I'm looking at the quote right now. If you put it out there that the movie's not good, then they won't let us make those movies like that anymore. And, oh, wow. Wow, yeah. and then Krasinski is like, whoa. <laughs> 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 and then ever since then he's never said that he, ever since that he's never said he hated the movie and after I read that I don't either because I think that's like for it's different for people that aren't making it or aren't yeah. a part of it every day yeah. but I think for people that are I think that's an important perspective to consider because if if it's something that you respect if it's an art form that you respect which we all do why yeah. would you want to tear it down in such a way that it kind of makes it harder to do and also it's a people it's people trying to do their best. Like even in a mediocre film, like if you're going to use this, this terminology, even a mediocre film takes just as much effort to make as an amazing movie. I mean, we look back to like, you know, some of the films that we, or, you know, like some like the projects freelance that we've made ourselves, you know? Yeah. Some of it might not be our best work, but like we remember the, the trial. We remember like all like the hard work we put into it, regardless of the end product. We, you know, we put our best efforts into it, you know, despite the situation. And, you know, we're proud of our work. You know, we're proud of like, no, I did the best I could in that situation and it turned out the best, you know. And, you know, and you put that into like, you know, a non-film perspective. And I think people would kind of understand that a little bit more. It's like, yeah, I put a lot of work and effort into that shift. You're like, oh, I put a lot of work and effort into that, you know, that essay I wrote kind of thing. So like, you know, I, I guess it, when you put yourself in that perspective, like, you kind of have a different view on it on the whole big picture aspect. Okay. So what's the biggest criticism Hollywood gets these days? The biggest criticism is, Oh, Hollywood. It's all the same stuff. There's nothing original anymore. Well, yeah. Part of the reason there's nothing original anymore, as you would say that, uh, is because you shoot down the people who take risks. 
And the most ironic thing about it is the people who take risks and have a major hit, suddenly every other studio is looking at that hit and they're like, how do we replicate? How do we get that cash cow on the farm? Connected movies, Marvel, and everyone else copied. Yeah. Well, so, even just going back to Star Wars, even going back to film noir, even going back further to like the talkies, like uh-huh. or to the silent films, like with uh with uh Charlie Chaplin and Buster Keaton. People were trying yeah. to find someone that looked exactly like them and recreate oh, yeah. it. Did it work? There was... Heck no. <laughs> so you take that risk because that's how everything progresses. That's how society progresses that's how i mean you can insert whatever uh you know occupation or um entertainment you know eventually reading the same thing over and over watching the same thing over and over gets boring so oh yeah taking a risk yeah it could be a stinker or it could be the next best thing that changes the way a lot of people think and a lot of people feel about things yeah and it's interesting because Again, Last Jedi is a great example of this. Ryan Johnson was a film before he made Last Jedi. He was a filmmaker that took a a lot of risks. Like look at oh, Brick, yeah. his very first feature. It's a a noir movie that's a mystery where they are trying to solve some sort of divisive plot, murder, sex, whatever. And he takes that and puts it into high school, which was completely radical for the time. Very different. And then that was somewhat successful. People copy it. He makes Looper, a time travel movie same thing and so then he does it with star wars and people freak out and say right. we can't do this anymore it's 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 fascinating and i don't know I, I i've always had this idea that if people wanted to see what like a more so more or less like objectively bad movie is they just need to go to like a screening at a film school like first yep. year yep like i'm not saying all film schools are bad like that or that the movie the projects that we make are important and blah 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 but i'm saying is like some people need that perspective. Like it's flawed. This is it's an just art. flawed. Like, you know, like they don't have the certain techniques where basic filmmaking is ne- necessary. And like, oh, why was this frame like tilted? Like, yeah, uh, of, of course, like there's techniques out there that, you know, mess with that formulate progression. But like, if it's like consistent, it's like, okay, obviously something went wrong here and they didn't attempt to fix it, you know, during production or, you know, someone was looking at the camera the whole time while acting like, you know, like stuff like that, you know, like, you know, and they don't like do any effort to change or fix anything because they're learning. They're trying to understand, you know, the medium that they're in, in a sense. Yeah. But even just looking at the general audience. And when I say that, I mean, people that aren't trying to break down, trying to analyze the movie. Yeah. Like even just looking at that, it's, it's difficult to kind of go, going back to the very beginning of the topic. It's like, it's kind of difficult to decide what's, good and what's bad even from their perspective so why should we expect people that even know like critics or people that make movies how are we supposed to know what really is a good movie or not because it's still so 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 objective or sorry subjective yeah it it is difficult i mean no one really can be the end-all be-all kind of like you know defining answer to it like it's it's all within our viewpoints and our experiences in life that decide these factors too and you know like one movie might be you know beautiful and heartwarming because that story had a similar experience in their life you know compared to one person who didn't have that same experience as that other person and they just thought it was okay you know like it wasn't great it wasn't bad you know it was just kind of in the middle like life experiences do alter that too and you know i feel like that does have some sort of like you know 
factor in it as well. Yeah, and even just going back to the what Chris said about the Hollywood's making the same stuff over and over again. Even when they make something that you would expect it to be so good or be so well received. Like if I pitched you a movie that's basically exactly like Star Wars but has way more uh way more planets, way more outlandish, like crazy aliens and like at least 12 more action scenes than the last one there was, you'd be like, sign me up. But then when you find out it's uh, Valerian in the city of the thousand planets, you'd be like, oh, that movie didn't turn out as well as we thought it would. Yeah, because like nothing's a sure thing, even if it feels like it is. Right, exactly. (laughs) That's a great point. Talking about how we talk about movies, it's just, it's a never ending topic because everyone does it and no no one really knows exactly what makes something good or not and right so then people go to this like they jump to this conclusion where it's like well if nobody knows what good is good then nothing's good then we don't need critics but i think that that's <laughs> going too far that's like it's yeah. throwing the baby out with the bathwater, basically like yeah. just because yeah. we don't know doesn't mean we can't try to stumble through the dark together and sort of try to find something that's is at least closer to an understanding like most people understand that like star wars the first movie was good even if you don't like it like it goes in that direction how good is it a 70 percent rotten tomato or 80 eh, eh. percent yeah. i i completely agree with you on this talent and i think that this is definitely a topic that there's a lot of threads to pull on that leads to all kinds of new areas of discussion about the whole critiques in general and what its worth is to society and what its impact yeah. is to society. And it's something that evolves even past, you know, film. I mean, uh, critiques or reviews of restaurants uh, affects how people, you know, go to eat, how where they want to spend their money. Uh, it affects products on Amazon and all kinds of other platforms. It's like, okay, this has got a poor review. I don't want to buy it. I want the one that's got the better reviews. And in it, of itself, it becomes a whole marketing business strategy in of itself. Well, we need to yeah. make sure that our product has great reviews because that's the way it's going to sell. So there's a lot of threads. Yeah. So even like looking at the the art of film in, in, in general, things are consistently changing and things are being reacted to. Like uh, the way I think of Last Jedi is I think of Last Jedi as almost like a surrealist painting. And that sounds so pretentious. But the reason I say that is because... <laughs> The reason I say that is because it's literally a deconstruction of Star Wars. It's a deconstruction of what the ideas of Star Wars are. So we look at, uh, so we look at like the Enlightenment, like 1700s and 1800s. And surrealism was a direct response to that, where they basically broke down all the rules and like made you think about, well, why do you think this enlightening painting or this like Renaissance painting is beautiful? Is it because yeah. it is beautiful, or is it because you've been trained to think it's beautiful? And that's what Last Jedi does. Is that good thing or bad thing? Uh, that's up that's that, that that doesn't really matter it's just like it's moving art in a different direction because it's questioning itself and it wouldn't do that if there wasn't film criticism again right. it's like this never-ending loop of like it is important but like the way we talk about it makes it seem like it's a binary but really it's this idea of consistently uh, a consistent flux dang it's great yeah way to, like yeah, great way to put it <laughs> yeah i'm honestly kind of like speechless in a way because like that because like i never really thought about it like i knew critics were important like analysis was important when you're looking at a, a, a piece of art or a piece of work like this but like putting it in that method like of why you think it's good or like why you makes it feel this way 
when it comes to these films, you know, a simple because it's good or it's bad doesn't do justice. You know, like, you, there has to be more, you know, because like there's so much. It's not like it, it's just like a thought that just came and went. Like it's like many thoughts, many feelings and opinions and just like mushed all together and you're trying to organize it as best as possible. And like critics have a way of like gathering all that fish from the ocean into a large net and like, you know, somehow putting it all together, you know, in a way where it's like digestible for people to like, you know, yeah. understand. And and they have the context that a lot of people don't have. So yeah, filmmakers may have this context, but like, for example, uh, a film critic will know the history of cinema in such a way that will allow them to better realize and to communicate what makes this new thing good. So right. uh, I think a, a great example would be La La Land, right? La La yep. Land was seen as great by so many people, enough that like it annoyed me in college just because it was always playing on campus. I don't know how <laughs> everyone was playing it. It was always like in someone's dorm room and you'd hear da 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 and I'm like, okay, okay, move, yep. keep going. Like I like the movie, but you know, it's just, yeah. it's like so prevalent. But like a reviewer would be able to not just say, oh, this is good because I like it. They would be able to say, well, let's look at the history of cinema. It started off as silent films. And what really made talkies successful was the fact that it had music in it. It has yep. the jazz singer. And it has all of these things that lead up to these references, which leads up to this color palette, which leads up to the fact that it's a like a heterosexual uh, love story. Like all of these things that like make it something that we see as successful. And they have that context that like not everyone has. And so right. it allows us to discuss and understand and appreciate it more yeah and you can also feel like um like some of those reviewers be like oh it's this movie is basically like a love letter homage to like you know days of old when it comes to like you know older films too and you know and like you know mo to most people when they just watch the movie like oh it's a nice soundtrack it's a nice you know uh love story blah 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 you know that doesn't turn out the way you think and but like you know to other people who have like seen the bigger picture in a sense, they're like, no, there's, yeah, like you said, like there's a lot more to it. And, you know, here's A, B, C, D, and every other letter in the alphabet because I've got a lot to talk about. <laughs> yeah. And even just moving this conversation like slightly in a different direction, the way we talk about movies also changes based on what lens you look at it through. So like mm -hmm. you mentioned Captain Marvel earlier, right? And right. if you want to look at it from just like a specifically like technical level, that movie succeeds in a lot of ways. But if you look at it from maybe like a feminist lens, it's going to be successful or unsuccessful in different ways. I'm not going to like make that judgment on that movie in that lens. Right. But I'm just saying like you can use that lens in so many different ways. Like, for example, I just mentioned The Jazz Singer. That movie is one of the very first sound movies and completely changed the film oh, yeah. industry forever but and it's one of the, probably the most important movies and it's also a very well-made movie besides the fact that it was one of the first ones with sound but there's also a glaring like hole in that movie which is or like thing that you have to mention which there's blackface in that movie yes. and so there's that that lens where it's like there are like racial sociological like all these other issues in movies like some of our favorite movies in the past have these like what are like our social norms are changing so social norms that were acceptable then but aren't now and even if they were not acceptable then they are still there and yeah we and talk we about movies talk about in so it. many different ways. Yeah. Well, we can still talk about it. But what I'm saying is it's like uh, there's no, different was, lenses to yeah. look at it. No, I was just saying like, you know, like as a society, like we can discuss that, you know, issue. That's what films are about. It's about prompting discussion. And, you know, you, yeah. you have to reflect on these things. And, you know, like, there could be something good. 
but has flaws in it. You know, nothing is completely 100% good or 100% bad. Like, yeah, nothing is binary. And the thing that I think is also, I don't want to like, this is a completely different rabbit hole, so we don't have to go down it completely just because it kind of fits. Like the idea of cancel culture online definitely fits into this, where like you look at films at a binary, you look at art or representation or all these different things as a binary. Is... Uh, is Charlie's Angels reboot a good or bad movie because it has a certain representation in it? Or is, uh, I, I can't think of a movie off the top of my head, but is another movie that is problematic in one or two ways, is that movie completely bad because of those two things? Right. I'm not one to say if that it is or isn't. But what I'm saying is like, I don't think that we can boil down an entire movie to this binary uh regardless of whether it's like the quality of the filmmaking how well it's made or even if it's the representation and all these different ideas because once again it's the filmmakers that push the boundaries that are often the ones that are kind of like scrutinized under this lens and if we keep on uh putting them in the camp of like bad then they're not going to be able to push the boundaries in good or bad ways right and the most the most difficult thing is that you know, we want to push away from this binary retrospective on these movies. And you're thinking like, okay, how are we going to get the general audience to come away from this? And, you know, the general audience for the most part is not going to want the complex version. They're going to want the simplified version. They're going to want something more, you know, like a, a percentage for instance, or the you know, they want, <laughs> yes, they, because they don't have the time you know, because time time is very precious to people. You know, because like it, you know, it's it's so expensive. You can't just say, you know flying around unless you know you're the king of the world, obviously. But you know, um, but that's why people flock to these percentages, these numbers, because it's more grounded. But it is very much like it's. Um, I'm trying to think of the word. Um, it's not very meaty in the way it's like describing the reviewing the movie in a sense, or like, you know, it's instantaneous. It's yes. Yeah. It's instantaneous. instantaneous. Yeah. But I think that there's also a better way to do it. Like going back to Rotten Tomato, like, uh, it's either yes or no, but Metacritic does it in a way where the reviewer actually gives it a score and then they, they aggregate those scores and it creates the score of the movie. So like something like, let's say Thor Ragnarok versus let's say uh, parasite. I think both right. of them have like in the 90% of movies, which yeah. one's better. I, I'm not going to say which one's better, but I would say that like, which one is like better crafted and like as a piece of filmmaking, as a piece of art, I'd say parasite probably goes down that line a little bit more than Thor Ragnarok. Right. Not that Thor Ragnarok doesn't have all the validity of being a great movie as well, but yeah. th- those kind of nuances are lost on something when, when you only take, from the statistical standpoint, like the binary and turn it into a number. Right. Exactly. And that becomes really complicated, especially when you're like, because movies are so varied and like, you know, they're all different. Like you, cause like when you combined, you know, Thor Ragnarok against parasite, parasite is a dark comedy film and Thor Ragnarok is an action adventure comedy. Like, yeah, they both have the comedic element to them, but like they're completely polar opposite movies in a sense. Like it's kind of difficult to compare them when you want to basically compare them in more similar groups, I guess you can say. So it, it, it becomes a whole metal mess and it can get, you know, really complex, but you know, I'm, I'm glad we were able to like, you know, discuss at least like, you know, more about this because I guess people can get more informed on this viewpoint than just saying, Oh, if it's fresh, you know, 
then I'm then I'm sold. They're like, you know, like, well, why are you sold? Like, why why is it why is it fresh? You know, explain me more because you know I'm putting my time into this. You know, what makes it worth it? And you know, if you just give me something you know cheap and quick, it's like okay, well, <laughs> there was no effort put into it. <laughs> yeah, but it also does good things because like the Rotten Tomato score can also bring people to movies that they otherwise wouldn't go to, like indie mm-hmm. movies that only release in five theaters and then they see hey there's this movie that's like right next to thor ragnarok that like has a similar percentage it's certified fresh let me let me check that out oh it's on netflix yeah totally and they watch it and then they become a fan of i don't know some indie director like joel petrykas like they just fall in love with his movies or something because of one rotten tomato score and so there is good sides to it dang yeah there really isn't like a right direction it's like you have to do everything (laughs) like yeah absolutely but then like also rotten tomato is doing again like uh rotten tomato is also doing other good things for film criticism as well like it's currently unearthing like a bunch of old reviews for very old movies from all from the 1910s all the way up and a lot of those reviews were ones that were buried in publications that no one ever read or lost to history so like a lot of uh, like African American uh, critics or a lot of female critics that normally we had never seen or heard from, and yeah. now because they have the power to like go in and like find these reviews, we're seeing these reviews from like, for example, an African American reviewing uh, uh, like a Charlie Chaplin movie, and the guy wrote it when he was eighteen, and it's like this beautiful review. Yeah, that's really so cool. It, they're, that it, they're getting that. It's not again even Rotten Tomato, while where it likes to pick its binaries, isn't binary. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, I think that's about. Oh, uh, well, I think that's all the. Oh, <laughs> you caught me oh. in it. You caught me in yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, you, yeah. You go ahead. You do it, Brandon. Ah, well, I think that's all the time we got. It. Hang on. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> that uh, I, no, I cannot stress enough to the listeners how much that has become a part of our daily lives as a like routine <laughs> joke we do now. Anytime we're on yes. the phone now and it's like reaching a lull, we just. Huh, well, anyway, I think that's all the time we have for but this phone you, call. So <laughs> you need the thigh slap, though. This thigh slap, <laughs> like that, as you're getting up. That's that's the key because otherwise, yes. it's not as motivating or powerful. <laughs> not as authentic. Not as authentic. There we go. And we're um, all about being authentic. Well, some of us are. <laughs> uh, but thank you, Talon, so much for coming on this episode, man. Yes, it was a thank long you time so much, coming. Talon. Thank you for being patient with us, you know, with the whole world going crazy right now. Just, I'm glad we were able to do this, you know, and it's just, it was definitely a wild ride for sure. So thank you so much for being on this episode. Yeah, no problem. This was a blast. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> so is there anything you want to kind of like, you know, plug in for our listeners here to check out? Do you got anything... Um, that they might be interested in, you know, that we can possibly link. So right now, uh, because we are all in quarantine, I have decided to start like a web series sort of thing where it's a choose your own adventure web series. Uh, oh, YouTube. nice. So basically every single week I, I have been making, or not every week, as, as soon as, as much as I can, I make like a new episode and then with, based on the comments on the YouTube video or Facebook or wherever you like leave a comment, I, write the next episode based on your comments and then create a new episode of this web series. It's just wow. like a fun way to stay creative and keep making stuff uh, during this uh, unprecedented time we live in. Yes. Yeah, so well, that's very there creative. So there you have it. No excuses. We're all in stay at home. Go There's ahead and excuses. Check it out. Some people have different situations, but like know, it's called roommates <laughs> web series. <laughs> it's called roommates. And I hope you like it. It's goofy. And just me just trying to keep busy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 
Yeah, so that way, like, you can have, like, at least, you know, a little bit of uh, insight and entertainment there, so... Um, but yeah, I just want to thank everybody for checking out this episode. Thank you, Talon, for coming on again. I hope you guys have a wonderful rest of your day, evening, morning, afternoon, whatever you got in between, and have a good one, folks. Have yourself a hoot and flute and good time. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, listeners. Thank you again for checking out this new episode of the Going Off Topic podcast. If you like this episode or hearing our lovely voices, go ahead and give us a five-star rating, a thumbs up, or a positive review on all our podcasting platforms, which now includes Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Podbean, Google Play, Stitcher, and SoundCloud. For more information or updates about the channel, go ahead and check us out on Facebook or Instagram. Chris and I want to thank you again for listening to us going on topic. We hope to see you again on the next episode. See you around, listeners. This is actually turning out really great, guys. I'm just going to say this right now. Yeah, no, yeah, I'm liking this. Well. All these pie conversations. Come oh on. my gosh. Uh, <laughs> that's like the best. If we could find if if you guys know of any movies that like talk about pie, there it is. Hey, Greg. All right. Cool.